0: Recorded live.
1: Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C.
3: and the Sixth Doctor.
1: Everybody, or should I say, Arg, and welcome to the show. <laughs> this is the Cultum Collective podcast. And Dave, quick, save me from the gangplank!
4: Oh, oh hi. You're uh, sort of rubber sucker just stuck to the side of my ship, Captain.
1: Arg, what's them pesky darlings? <laughs> Yes, it's. I, I believe, from what I've been told, it's 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 Talk Like a Pirate Day. Uh, talk like the space well, pirates, there
3: you go.
4: <laughs> it's better than our usual Talk Like a prat Day. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> every day, folks, that's every day.
3: <gasps> Alright,
1: welcome to the show, and uh, let's see what scurvy, scurvy <laughs> folk we have in the room today. <laughs> Starting from the top of Hargby, matey, it's Benjamin Elliott. Time
5: for
1: tell tell you
5: blood drinking. Time for tell tell you
1: blood drinking. <laughs> <laughs> get off me shoulder now, lad. All right. Joining us from the frozen Viking North, it's Charlie Pay seventy
5: nine. Jar,
1: Very good. Although I'm starting to sound like I'm from the country. <laughs> Quick, get them taters in. <laughs> 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 All right. Somebody washed up on a desert, a desert island uh, many moons ago. It's starts Skeptical Arg.
2: Well, I don't know about you people, but uh, I've got lime in my beer, so I have no scurvy nor a terrible accent. <laughs>
5: <laughs> arg.
2: And
1: she flew from a prison ship and she's back down and uh, down under. It's. God, I do sound like I'm from the country. I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> i'm quick and going to dip down to the shops <laughs> it's romana too
6: hello boys and i'm not going to join in in all this pirate nonsense because it's no longer talk like a pirate day where i am because i'm in future. <laughs> all
1: right then
7: <laughs> and welcome back to allowance hello helen Hey guys, how you doing? I'm, I'm back, and I'm glad I'm not the only woman this time around.
1: Yay! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very well said there, Darth. It's Pirates of the Caribbean, is populated from the cast of all creatures, creatures, and small. <laughs> you better get that down there.
6: Oh, uh, right. help us? <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm obviously having far too much fun today,
4: and joining us is... By the way, did you spot the bit where someone cycled into Tim Drury's head and never came out? It's Tim Jury.
8: Yar, and he'd still be there. But <laughs> <laughs> well, hadn't, hadn't it's autumn, so it'd almost be time to be turning on the heat.
9: <laughs> it's
8: not so much shiver me, Timber's just shivering.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: righty. Dave, we actually have people under the cone today. How about you lower it on (sighs) them?
5: Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence.
1: What? 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 Alright! Under the cone today, we have Merlin! Hello, Merlin. Uh, not that one, the other one. Uh, <laughs> freeo one Really? Is it really free? You sure? And Logan, with a star. Is it a badge for mathematical excellence, sir? <laughs> and of course, we've got Dave AC, too. Dave's twin. He's very quiet, though. Alright! <laughs> Well, that wraps it up uh, under the cone. One more person to introduce on audio, and that is the Typing Monkey.
3: (laughs) Your Typing Monkey's driving me nuts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, tune in next week when we find out how sick Charlie P. 79 is of doing that gag. All right. Never. First up with news, it's Benjamin R. Galliott.
0: I'm your cheese. Well, it's the bad news for Pirates of a certain British television series. Uh, BBC America has acquired Law & Order UK, premiering Sunday, October 3rd, and then m- most weeks, Friday evenings on BBC America. Yes, indeed. Oh, Lord. Uh, the uh, Basically, the criminal justice system, there are two two different sci-fi fandoms are protecting the interests of the UK public. Battlestar Galactica helps out the cops, aka Jamie Bamber, and Doctor Who helps out the prosecution with Freeman Adjaman. And they're finally going to air in the US. And if BBC America markets this well, I honestly think that Law & Order UK could become, at least for a while, the biggest show on that channel eclipsing Doctor Who. You heard me. Law & Order UK could eclipse Doctor Who at least for the first couple of episodes. Now, my reasoning is, Law & Order, even with the criminal intents on USA Network, always gets at least 3 million viewers an episode. And BBC America is in about two-thirds of those homes. So if they properly advertise it, the Law & Order fandom is loyal, plus you'll have Battlestar Galactica fans, the Doctor Who fans. This could be big. This could easily be between 1 and 2 million viewers, which for them... Would be right up with Doctor Who's highest numbers, and frankly, that would be very good to have a different audience coming in and discovering BBC America's other shows. Now, some people say Law and Order UK isn't very original, so who knows that audience will stay. But if they discover some of the other things, it could be very good for Doctor Who, and Top Gear, and other British programs if BBC America follows their them.
1: So, come for the Law and Order, stay for the Sci-Fi.
0: Yes. Maybe we can even get. Maybe people will complain. I can see all my other Law and Orders in high definition. Why don't you carry BBC America in high definition? Comcast, DirecTV, other folks.
5: <clears throat>
1: yes, one of my biggest bugbears, especially when uh, you go to the on-demand section of of, of Comcast and everything starts up with BBC, uh, BBC HD on demand. It's like, yeah. If we got that, yes. Are you listening? Yes, they are. Of course, they are. Everybody listens to this show.
3: <laughs> Is that it? Anyway, that's it. Oh, that's it. No, Doctor Who news. There's not that much news this week. What do, we, what do we pay you for? You're gonna have to get a cut and pay. I think. <laughs>
1: You're gonna be. I'm gonna pay you half what we normally pay you. Yes. Yes. Um, As it's going on in the chat, of course, uh, news, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, of course, uh, the Stig was unmasked uh, for fans of Top Gear, of course. Um, But it was pretty poor. uh, Stupid thing to do for him. Because all they'll do is they'll just kill off that Stig and bring in a new one. It creates publicity Mm. for the show, I think. Um, But I think it's just... I thought
8: at the time, Ian... You simply work your way around the problem by having a racing driver who you simply name and show their face, and then that way they can't blackmail your programme.
5: Yeah,
1: yeah, it was rather, rather a poor thing to do. Um, and I explained to my son that they're going to kill the Stig, and he goes, "Why?" And I said, "Because he was bad." <laughs> <laughs> he, he says they call him now. I mean, we've we've all seen. Uh, well, those of us who watch Top Gear have seen, uh, you know, Green Stig, American Stig. Uh, uh, black Stig, White Stig—I I, as I call the current Stig—just of course you know broke his contract in the most bizarre way. Mm-hmm. I call no, him Greedy Stig. No, I like call him Dirty Stig. stig. <laughs> dirty Stig. <laughs> so yeah, um, and I plan to go around to his uh, his house uh, later on and tell his kids exactly who Santa Claus is. Uh,
8: Oh, I'll was should, I should, I should quote, quote you a phrase when one of the DJs used to stay in that on UK radio. We, and he said, we said, "We'll come round later and stick a bat up your nitries."
1: Excuse that. That's my phone. <laughs> Carry on, Dave.
5: Some problem.
4: Come Hello, on Dave. <laughs> Sorry, um, on. I was just uh, getting something ready. Um, the small piece of uh, .dot two news I've got is from... It's actually from the .dot two news page that Dead Air has been named Best Audiobook. And this is by the actual uh, voters visiting the audiobook store. So the Doctor Who audiobook, Dead Air, uh, written by James Goss and read by David Tennant. The story was the seventh and final exclusive to Audio Adventure... Uh, to feature The Tenth Doctor. It's a BBC audio book. I don't know whether Rowan wants to make a comment on it because I believe she does have a copy of it without giving any of the story away. Um, is it one that you'd recommend, Rowan?
7: Actually, yes, it is. I definitely recommend it. Um, it's it's very, very eerie. I mean, if you're not accustomed to uh, David's uh, voiceovers, you know, it, he does a fantastic job in this particular uh, story with the uh, with the voices. Right. And uh, yeah, it just it just without giving anything away about it, it's just an incredible story. Uh, considering it's 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 kind of like the under siege type thing, but done done in a very odd way.
4: Okay, and there was another little story that I was just wanting to go. Oh. Hello, oh, hello. I'm down, monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Some my someone
5: bad.
9: Someone gave
8: the typing <laughs> monkey a banana. We got all Sorry. excited for a second.
4: Uh, there was, I yeah. it is. Um, the, in my Sunday paper. There's just a little bit of information about um, you know the um, the regeneration, the um, the 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 touring show of Dot Two that's going to be going through. Um, uh, tw- is it uh, twen- 30 shows in 25? Dates in nine cities, and um, oh, it just I should says mention here.
8: quickly, Dave. Dave, that the the people behind that show are tweeting, and so I should put the put their Twitter thing in the um, chat for people.
4: All right. Well, this is what I'd just gone to grab when there was a short delay. And um, Eagle-eyed fans should be able to spot Smith in the audience at least three cities when it tours next month. Cause, because of course, it's been quite. Clearly stated that the doctor and Amy will not be appearing on stage, only by uh, you know uh, recordings. Apparently, um, uh, Smith spent one whole day recording his his bits that will be using it. Um, but uh, from Nick Briggs, I know it sounds sloppy, but one of the most exciting things uh, is seeing the, how how much the kids love it. Um, when we did the Doctor Who prom, uh, I got to the Albert Hall and most of the kids outside were going around with an arm stuck out going exterminate. And I thought, oh, this is so exciting. And for this show, there will be an added bonus. One of the reasons I've taken this job, Briggs grins, is to be able to say I have played Wembley, uh, hmm. which is of course is one, one of the venues. So there's a big article in my Sunday Times uh, culture section about that. And, and that's basically it for me. And
1: alrighty then. So it remains... To, oh, uh, Rowan... No,
4: we haven't
8: done had, all the news oh, yet. Yeah.
1: But that's what
5: I <laughs> Yeah, going on? Do-do. Oh, uh, <laughs> Okay, well... Uh,
7: Rowan
1: said I, she had a little bit of news.
7: Well, my little bit of news is nothing sci-fi or anything related per se, but uh, I'm going to be moving in January. I
9: mean, Yay. yeah,
7: yeah, down south, away... Um away from the ultimately overpriced uh Fairfield County of Connecticut. <laughs>
4: cool. well, yeah, oh yeah, there's too many that, huh? pirates there as well. Or
7: yes, oh, yeah. Arr. I guess one thing I'll miss is the uh is the um bays and the uh, and the uh wharfs and all that <laughs> around here. <laughs> all right,
3: next okay. up with
2: some news is Mr. Darth skeptical. Hello. Yes, um, some news from around the world of Doctor Who, but not exactly Doctor Who itself. Uh, first up was some Sarah Jane Adventures news. Um, unfortunately, it looks like they are canceling the publication of the novelizations of The Nightmare Man, which is the first of the fourth series, and The Death of the Doctor, which is, of course, the episode that will feature Matt Smith and Katie Manning, that those two novelizations are no longer going forward, even though um, things got to the advantage of actually having cover art for those two things. So that's pretty sad. Um, On the good side, if you are somebody who likes Sarah Jane, or you know somebody who does, and you live in Region 1, you'll be able to finally get Series 3 on DVD, unfortunately slightly after Christmas, on January the 4th. So if you have anybody who celebrates Eastern Orthodox Christmas, you're in luck. (laughs) But uh, for those of us who don't, you're kind of (laughs) screwed. The Region 2 stuff, though, does come out helpfully in time for Christmas on November the 1st. So that's kind of good. And then... um, there's a little bit of casting news that finally is, I guess you would say, confirmed. If you haven't heard, Julian Bleach, who of course played Davros, is going to be the, the baddie in the first episode. Um, so it's really kind of not just that you've got, you know, Katie Manning and Matt Smith as the highlights. You've also got him coming in there. And then in the last episode, you've got Julie Graham, who is a fabulous actress as well. Uh, so some, some quite good casting news coming out of Sarah Jane.
6: No, on I just the, have to just, sorry, just, 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 I just have to jump in there. So Julian sure. Leach is going to be on Sarah Jane. I believe mm-hmm. he's one of the. I'm sure there's other actors who have been in all three spin-offs. He's been in Doctor Who, with and now Sarah Jane. There you go. Uh,
2: I don't know how many there are that have actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He may he may be the first really to do it.
5: I I'm can't not sure. think
2: of it. I mean, certainly Sarah Jane herself doesn't qualify. Um, no. John Leeson doesn't qualify. Um and none of the kids have ever been on Torchwood. That's the that's the hard thing, it's the Torchwood thing is what's hard.
6: Yeah. Mm.
2: So, well he he yeah. was on Torchwood
6: first and then Dr. Jane. Right. Right. So i of a bit right. But anyway, I, mean, I just thought I'd I mean,
2: make David that Tennant,
1: comment, had, he, uh, unless you count the hand in the jar right. the doctor no. hasn't even been on Torchwood. <laughs>
2: no, and that's a tough one. Yeah? Hmm.
6: Anyway, go on, just what I mentioned, uh-huh. that. But, I mean, as, as, as s-
2: yes, it's very interesting stuff. Good point to bring up. Mm-hmm. But as we're talking about Torchwood, um, in my quest to continue to find out things about the writing of this uh, new world, the, the ten-part uh, series that's going to be made uh, as an American co-production, more little news spilling out today. This time from John Fay. Last time we heard about uh, Jane Espenson giving her views of the writers' table. John Fay, of course, wrote or at least co-wrote um, day two and day four of series three, so he's slightly responsible for the death of Yanto. But yeah, bringing that up with her in the room, didn't you? I know. I know well, <laughs> you know.
6: I'm really trying writing. my hardest to sit here and not butt in. I
2: understand I understand but Um, nevertheless whether you like the moment or not it's uh, (laughs) sure sure. whether you like the moment or not it's still good writing um and he's he's,
6: I did I did like John Fay's episode I must admit quite. he can actually write
2: as opposed to
6: R.P.B. but anyway
2: (laughs) so he he too is being brought back to work on Torchwood The New World and he's recently come back from that month long um session in Hollywood that Jane Anson uh talked about that we revealed and um this time, uh, he's been sort of conferring what she said, and he gives this quote, and this again is from the, the Doctor Who news page. He says, I'm very excited about the new world. Like anything in life, you can rest on your laurels, or you can try to push it on again and achieve something new. That is what Russell has done. On Children of Earth, he had a very clear and defined vision, but what he has outlined for the new world is equally, if not more, ambitious than before. Now, of course, that could be just hype. Who knows? That's kind of what they want to say. But still, it's yet another person from the writer's room having confidence in what's going on, and it just makes me more and more excited for this thing. So,
6: there you go. Um, Taking the wait-and-see approach. Um, I, at the moment, everything I'm hearing, I'm not liking, but, you know, again, I'm a hysterical woman. I'm just hoping RTV will prove me wrong, basically, and, and make me enjoy Tortured again, because... Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leave it there because um, I've, I'm sure I'm in the minority
4: in this room when it comes to my views on this. So yeah. Well, at least there's going to be some time before it actually starts up. So the the, the yes. gap between you know the Children of Earth and this uh, this new one, I mean, it, what's it's going to be about eighteen months, isn't it, uh, Dar? By the time it from the end. The, I, they, uh,
6: the gap between I, series two and three. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean, I, it, it, we don't actually have obviously an air date yet in 2011. Um, if I they even hit,
6: that. I, I think I heard something for um, August or t- September from memory.
2: Well, if that's true, then it's more than two years. Wow, I know.
6: I know. Yeah, well, I, or summer 2011, I think, is what I've heard. Hmm. Um, pretty sure it's like July or August. So yeah. Two yeah, years.
2: I I think you are talking a full two years. It's it's definitely going to be, I think, a little bit longer than the. Um, Doctor Who Gap or whatever.
5: Mm-hmm. But
2: then again, it's a totally different production. I mean, you might as well call this thing Torchwood 2011, and you might as well call the other thing Torchwood 2000, whatever that would have been, six, Well, seven, that
6: is whatever. how I view it. This, isn't, uh, this is a completely different
2: series in my
6: mind. It's not the
2: same as what it was. Well, we but, don't... Um, know. That could I mean, be a good thing and a bad
6: thing, but, you know... You know I, I was just happen. talking
2: from the production standpoint, because obviously yeah. you have two totally different things. But I think narratively... I, I mean, from what I've heard, it will start with some recognition of what's gone on before, and you do have your two or three meetings coming back, so, you know.
6: It's better. If we can get closure, I'll be happy. That's all I want. But
7: anyway, this is I'll never <laughs> agree with will never agree. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's any other news that I doesn't involve so. Pramana? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I'm cheeky today. All right, thank you, sir. And last with news...
8: Mr. Tim Dury. Ah, yes, well... Sadly, we lost a star of, um... Coltdom over the past few days, um... Kevin McCarthy, star of the original invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, died on last weekend, in fact, September the 11th, age 96, but I don't think we mentioned it last week. May not have broken at the time. Don't think it had. It broke on Monday, so, um... Very sad news. I have Lewis Strapani on Twitter to thank for breaking that one to me, but uh, there's the link in the chat from Total Sci-Fi Online for a proper tribute. And about the only other news is a um, little bit of Spider-Man movie news is uh, Andrew Garfield, who's been cast as the new Spidey, has been talking about uh, being in uh, the upcoming movie, whatever it happens to be called, I don't I don't even uh, who who did we have we had a director on the new Spider-Man movie yet?
1: Mm-hmm.
8: Mm, maybe not.
1: No. <laughs> As everybody waits for
0: Darth to introduce.
8: Silence. Silence from the room, even from Darth. So I guess not.
0: Any of us would take the job, I'm sure. <laughs>
4: Nope, looks like
0: nobody.
3: (laughs) As Darth said, who cares? Marvel. (laughs)
0: Any of us except Darth wouldn't mind getting the job. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for you.
4: Okay, well, let me just say before we go into the topic, Ian, um, uh, if people want to come and join us live when we do these shows, they're recorded on uh, Talk Show ID 54821 at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, you can come and join us by phoning in on the uh, American number 724-444-7444. Uh, if you've got some sort of SIP client or you've got Skype out with some credit on, uh, you can also call in. Uh, the SIP number to call is 66.212.134.192. And um, back to you, in.
1: Alrighty, Well, if you've joined us for the uh, main topic, then here it comes. Uh, Today we will be discussing a list. Yes, it's a list. It's in no particular order list. So there's one less argument there. Uh, But this list comes from io9, and it's the greatest Doctor Who cliffhangers of all time. And let me just pinch the intro to this by reading right from their page. Stephen Moffat has promised the first half of The Doctor Who Season 6 will end on a cliffhanger that'll keep you on the edge of your seat all summer, but how will that stack up to these other spine-tingling cliffhangers? And first up, as I said, no particular order, um, but has to rank up, there's one of the cliffhangers, not necessarily uh exciting etc but uh, it's it's a landmark one it's of course uh, the end of An Unearthly Child which first went out in 1963 the show's very first episode ends with a doozy as a TARDIS is uprooted from 20th century Earth and lands in the rocky barren landscape and then a weird misshapen shadow slinks towards the ship menacingly how is it resolved? the shadow turns out to be a caveman and it just looked misshapen due to the light
4: (laughs) well due to the terrain actually yeah,
1: and since Dave was what, roughly what, in your forties then, um, here's Dave. Tell us all about it.
4: I was about eighteen, <laughs> seventeen. Good God, um, it, I actually Art. remember it quite vividly, vividly. And um, in those days, of course, the the model sets weren't that quite as evident because uh, you were looking at it on a, a black and white picture and. Uh, if you're looking at the page while we're talking and for those trying to catch us later the site we're looking at is io9.com and the page in particular is forward slash uh, 562 5151 forward slash so uh, that's the picture we're referring to at least in this first part Um, and and I remember it actually being quite um, you know I'm going to tune in next week and find out what happens which of course that was what a cliffhanger was all about. It set the uh, the whole scene for what would be, you know, an unmissable show. So um, it really was. Uh, well, uh, the next one was probably even more iconic, but that one was certainly uh, a very, very good uh, early cliffhanger that worked. Uh, everybody really wanted to know what was going to happen next. Because we didn't know that there were going to be quite a few educational uh, Doctor Who's being thrown in, so we were expecting it all to be adventure and wonder.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, it, the problem with being, you know, a, a later Doctor Who fan and then going back and watching these things, the impact of it is is lost. It's in black and white, um, and... By the time I got round to watching Doctor Who, you know, it had been on for years, and so, but to to look back at it as a historical thing, this was like the the cliffhanger that pushed the series off into everything else. For you know, for a fan, it's like, oh well, this is where everything begins. This is where the TARDIS takes off, and and, and basically doesn't come back there, you know, and and just keeps traveling. Uh, so historically, it's 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 the big one, you know. And again, if anybody wants to jump in on any of these things, you're more than welcome to.
4: Yeah, I'm just to typing cool. in here. You've actually started at number one. I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but um, uh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, they're yeah. in chronological, chronological order. Chronological order, yeah. 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 The yeah, first, they're first hard hard. Hard. Right, okay. they're not in any... Well, uh, well the thing is, uh, yeah, that would be fairly near the top of my list anyway. Right. Um, they're not in any... Because the impact was greater at the time.
5: Right.
1: They're not in any any ranked order aside from the fact that they're 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 chronological. Um okay. they're not listing as far as you know, this is the greatest one being number one or you know, this is the worst one being number thirty one. Although, uh actually was it, how many are there? There are thirty one. Thirty one, actually, yeah, I'd I'd probably rank that as being well <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Anyway, we won't get into that right now. We'll wait till we get to that far. Anybody else have any thoughts on uh, the An Unearthly Child cliffhanger?
0: Well, my PBS station hated airing things in episode format. They loved showing in movie format. But for one brief summer in 2008, in 1998, they showed the first two stories only, uh, An Unearthly Child and The Dead Planet, sometimes called The Daleks, in episode format. One episode at a time. And I was watching Unearthly Child, Episode 1, seeing the original cliffhanger as broadcast with another local station's picture bleeding through late at night because we were watching it over the air. And that was when I decided to start this week in Doctor Who. So, <laughs> little number Hey! Two.
1: There you go. Another historical moment. All right. Well, if nobody else interjects in the next five seconds, I'm going to move on to the next one, because there um, are, as I said, well, 31... To get
8: other, other, other than to say I've never seen that one and ever thought it was anything other than a caveman. <laughs> but then I don't have the benefit of having seen it for the first time all those years ago, so we will watch it through the filter of having seen umpteen other bits of Doctor Who.
4: Yeah, the, the reason why it wasn't always uh, clear to first time watchers that it would be a caveman was because although they'd actually said uh, and Susan says you know uh, what the TARDIS is and can move you know in time and space we, well I say we loosely uh, as viewers hadn't really comprehended what the TARDIS could do so it wasn't immediately apparent to us when they're on a barren landscape that it would be you know hundreds thousands of years in the past
2: I don't know if I agree with that, Dave, because immediately after that, you see the title of the next episode, which is 100,000 B.C., right? Nope. So isn't it... It's not that the next one's not 100,000 B.C.?
0: No, it's not 100,000 B.C. I don't know. I think it's the Cave of Skulls.
8: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that.
0: Really?
5: I think it's about BC the next thing that I comes up on the screen, screen after the
8: shadow. The, the and the it's after the, the shadow. The camera
1: shadow camera whatever comes, okay. it's after so right. the shadow. and yeah, this, this is more it like it. Everyone's talking over the top of each other, and we can't. Get... <laughs> 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 ah.
3: Sorry. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I don't. But
5: think I don't think maybe it was because it was so
4: because it was so early on. You know, it hadn't really sunk in that this is this was this box could take us anywhere. Hmm. As we welcome Mike into the room, <laughs> hey, Mike's here. All right, well, we've got lots to do, and, and I've got a yes. list of uh, plenty more that are not even on there. So, all right, who's
1: eating? <laughs> I thought it was
8: you Ian. No, who's eating? He's
5: got I chips or something.
9: I was.
8: It's not me because I'm always polite enough to mute my mic, <laughs> but all this talk of food means I'm going to do that right now. <laughs>
4: I think we'll have to move fairly quickly through these. Yes, Moving on, swiftly on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The next in the list, of course, in chronological order, is The Dead Planet. Another cliffhanger where something we never get a good look at uh, advances in a menacing fashion. This time around, it's a single sink plunger arm belonging to a Dalek, and we don't get to see the Daleks in, uh, in full until the following episode. Famously, the show didn't actually build the Daleks yet <laughs> and they filmed this episode. So literally, all they had to show was the Daleks' arm. How was it resolved? The Daleks unveiled.
4: This was absolutely brilliant. I, I mean, this, to me, would rank probably number one from the classic series anyway, because it was... Uh, uh, Barbara sells it to us uh, as, uh, you know, a frightening experience, and uh, it was the reason why I chose on my DAP 100 YouTube clip that I'm sure you've all watched as my little homage to uh, to the story.
1: Anybody else?
0: Well, they made a slight mistake there, apparently, because I've since heard that uh, they had to refilm this episode, and that the actual version that aired was filmed around the time they filmed part five of the story. So the and they lost the original version of this episode the only surviving piece of the original filming was used at the beginning of part 2 so apparently mm-hmm. the Dalek prop did exist, they just couldn't show it because it had to match the start of part 2 because the first time they filmed it it didn't exist
4: yeah, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. I don't know why we have him on the show? it's, it's,
8: it's, yeah. it's, it's for that level of information is why we have Benjamin on isn't it? <laughs> Well, someone's ahead of me and said it anyway, but
0: oh, well, and the I reason why we like Charlie's line <laughs> on the chat just now. <laughs> <laughs>
5: this is the
1: template for line? about every Dalek, uh, every Terry Nation Dalek story. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, yeah, basically, it's just you know, even with the the the, the story that has Daleks in the title. At the end of every single episode, one it's like, "Oh, who's? In, oh, it's Daleks!" You know, mm-hmm. Bing.
8: I always found it quite entertaining the way that ter- Terry Nation wrote one story and then managed to rewrite it every few years. <laughs> but There was a great ter- ter- great quote from Terence Dix. I can't remember which particular story th- he'd submitted, but they'd, they went to Terry and they said, we- we'd like a Dalek script off you, Terry, and he submitted something to him. And then they rang him up and said, look, we- can you write something else other than what you just keep sending him time and time again? Mm-hmm. The same story you sent in, like, five years
5: ago.
0: <laughs> Listen Watching Keith and Marinus and Android Invasion, because the author's title, you're sitting through the story wondering when the Daleks are going to make a cameo. <laughs> and yes, I'm aware that I've been writing several Mr. Dalek stories, just staggering stories. But next <laughs> week, I'm actually going to write something that doesn't have a Dalek in it. Well, like published, so I like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not nation level of always a dalek <laughs> <laughs>
8: She's a, as, a, as a tom baker fan i'm just hoping android invasion comes out next year uh, the dvds mm.
1: moving on to number three on the list the world's end 1964 the doctor and his crew arrive in a post-apocalyptic london where they are terrorized by cyborg enforcers And then a Dalek comes climbing out of the river, revealing that the true force behind the successful invasion of Earth is the Doctor's deadliest enemies, the Daleks. The original game-changing cliffhanger, how is it resolved? The Daleks are the masters of Earth. God, that was a lousy Dalek impersonation. This one I do remember seeing vividly, of course not when it was first broadcast. You know, No no one here is as old as Dave. Um, Oh, sorry, Dave. uh, but I thought, for, for when this is made, the Dalek coming out of the water, I'm like, that was really, really kind of cool. And I don't think we've really, really seen something that cool until the episode Dalek, you know, the Dalek's doing something, you know,
4: cool. Yeah, because they thought they were in a safe place with the, their backs to the river, as it were, and yeah. uh, they, they were checking out. And, yeah, no, it was a, a, it was a great reveal.
1: Yeah, the submersible Dalek.
2: <laughs> yeah, I might have take issue with you there, because I don't think this is a great cliffhanger at all. Uh, from the first time I saw it, it was like perfectly obvious: a) how it was affected, and b) it doesn't really do that much for the plot for me. I mean, it's not that scary. It's certainly nothing on the level of, um, you know, the, the first oh. episode of the Daleks. Um, to me, the better Dalek cliffhanger of this sort of similar ilk from this period is the chase part one where you're not really kind of I mean yes there's sort of been mentioned that there might be Daleks around but you haven't seen a Dalek yet in the in the episode and this Dalek comes literally burrowing out of the sand until it's floating and you really get the sense that that is the power of levitation I don't get the sense here in this episode that this is the power of levitation. I get that there's a ramp underneath the water that the thing is being pushed up. Um, but in the, the model work in, at the end of the chase part one is, to me, much more convincing, and that's a much scarier thing. Because at that point in the chase, you don't know that the chase is a crappy serial. You still think that it's a pretty good thing. And well,
4: mm. That's cool well I'll tell you the reason why I think it's good and it, it, well I'm going to quote a film that you don't probably like anyway as I remember <laughs> uh, and that is the remake of War of the Worlds when uh, they had uh, they used the very same thing when they're all jumping on the ferry to try and cross and they're climbing on it and then suddenly uh, because all these uh, uh, the, um, the machines and then they have one come out of the water which uh, freaks everybody out because they're not expecting that so uh, I think that's a very, if you, if you can sort of take your mind back to the, the early Doctor Two one, it, it's that same thing that, you know, you see him on the landscape all around. You think, well, you can see him coming hundreds of yards away, a mile away or whatever, but then when suddenly one emerges out of the water right in front of you, then, it, then it's more scary. And that was really exactly the, the effect that this Dalek d- uh, achieved when he came out of the water. I think for an early, more naive audience, anyway.
0: I think mm-hmm. it also helped that uh, when World's End aired, there might have been something in the radio times if you look deeply enough, but World's End wasn't called Dalek something or other. I do think this is a story that, while The Dalek Invasion of Earth is a nice title, it really takes away the impact of Episode 1 because there is no way that you get into this story without knowing the Daleks are going to be in it. 1964 audiences, the Daleks were killed off, the Daleks were erased, that were stuck in one little city, they could only go on metal things anyway, and it's supposedly the far future, and so you're watching this episode, and suddenly, it's a Dalek in London, and yep, it can get around outside cities. That's a surprise, and they, they, you could sell it, because for once, the end of part one episode worked, hand worked, because most of the audience wouldn't have known there were going to be Daleks there.
2: But did, no, no, didn, no,
0: didn, no, didn't
2: now. Of course, you know. I, I thought <laughs> the Radio Times no. made a big deal about them returning,
0: though.
2: Hmm. Didn't they?
5: Well,
8: yes. The, I was going to going to add that because did they not do the big photo shoot of Daleks crossing Westminster Bridge? Unless that wasn't published until yeah, a few episodes again, into uh, the story. I mean, story.
4: W- when the when the terrible, uh, infamous episode, uh, uh, the the oh, get this right, David, <laughs> when the infamous issue of the Radio Times with the Manlik on the front cover came out. You couldn't avoid seeing it, because every shop and supermarket had the Radio Times on sale, you know, 20 rows of them, and you couldn't avoid it. In those days, I think the Radio Times was sent by subscription. It wasn't really readily available in the, in the shops. So basically, the only people who read the Radio Times were the people who subscribed to the Radio Times, uh, or the listener, or something like that. So, again, it wasn't a ubiquitous thing that was in every shop, our bookshop that you would go into, a newspaper shop you go into, uh, only in posh areas of London. Everybody else had to, um, you know, you subscribe to the Radio Times, so it, it didn't have that blankage coverage to uh, to reveal the info. Good point. Yeah, and uh, I still had my ration card. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, David, 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 what am I going to do with them? Give them a
1: good burial oh what are we yeah. going to do with
5: you
1: <laughs> <laughs> alright I think we should move swiftly onwards um, again you know we've got a lot to get through and so I'm not trying to hurry everybody but if, if you've got something to say on, on something definitely speak up um, moving on to the next episode or the next cliffhanger should I say The Space Museum 1965 uh, one of my I, I, the person who wrote this, personal favourites, the Doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Vicky, uh jump their time tracks and visit their own future. And at the end of the first episode, they discover their future selves, immobilised and held as exhibits in an alien museum for all eternity. How is it resolved? They vow to change their own futures before it's too late.
4: This is almost a, a Stephen Moffat type of story, isn't it? You could imagine that if he was writing for Dot 2 at the time, this is the sort of story he would have come up with.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably had a, anyway, more
4: satisfying resolution, though. Uh, (laughs) Dave! Well, that's it. Uh, I thought it it was great. Um, I remember it reminded me of, uh, I think it was This Island Earth that had come out in the late 50s um for a different reason but they had those tubes where uh, to to go in the spaceship to another world uh, where the gravitational forces were different they had to go inside these tubes to um you know change the molecular structure but that was the the um, the thing that i saw when i saw this um and i thought it was excellently done again the the whole power of things like this to shock were much more pal- palpable at the time than maybe they are now. Uh, even, you know, black and white whatever, it was just the being confronted with themselves. There weren't that many science fiction series on TV. We'd had Quatermass and one or two others. So really, the impact was probably far, far greater than perhaps the simple uh, plot twist might suggest. You had to be there. Let's put it that way. Okay,
5: right.
1: Okay. well, moving on to the next one. Uh, the Plague, 1966, uh, from serial The Ark. Uh, another clever use of time travel, the doctors, Stephen, and Dodo visit the survivors of the human prince, who are traveling to a new home world after the destruction of the Earth. The humans are working on a giant statue of a man, which will be completed when they reach the new planet. And they're accompanied by a race of servants, the Monoids. But when the Doctor and his friends leave the TARDIS, they jump forward 700 years, visiting the same Ark in the future. And the giant statue now has the head of a Monoid, because the Monoids have enslaved humanity. It's a really neat visual trick that tells you everything you need to know. How is it resolved? The Doctor and his friends team up with some invisible aliens, budgets being what they are, to help humanity.
4: Uh, this is straight out of uh, the time machine in a way, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but I still think that this is uh, pretty much the best cliffhanger of the Hartnell era and one of the best in the series history. And I think it's also one of the things that you get in the classic era, certainly the black and white era, has any kind of the impact that a modern cliffhanger has. It's a really fabulous cliffhanger. Unfortunately, the rest of the story is kind of middle-of-the-road, edging towards crap, but the the actual cliffhanger itself is fabulous.
4: Mm. And I think that image was it one of the ones that was... There was a famous book that came out, uh, our, our uh, Aliens Amongst Us or something, um, and it was written by some Dutch writer, a Swedish writer. Oh, I can't remember the name uh. of him. Um uh, and um, he was talking about, you know, uh, these strange lines on places, on uh, on remote planes. Were they landing strips? And uh, there was a cave painting of a, uh, a creature that looked like that with the single eye. And was that a, 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 an aborigine painting of a, uh, a spaceman? I can't, it's not Thor Heyerdahl, but it's some name like that. Nobody remember the book I'm talking about?
2: Not really. Oh,
4: I'll have to look it up now, then
2: i tell you another thing that's really good about this the cliffhanger. It's not just that, you know, you get an unexpected head on the top of the the uh, statue. It's because the way that Episode 2 is going, the plague, um, it makes you think that the story is resolved. It makes you think that we're done here. And then suddenly you come for this last little bit, the Doctor and the doctor and, and his crew actually leave in the TARDIS and they think, okay, we're done, we're going off to another adventure. And they kind of think that too. And then they come back and open up the doors and they're like, well, we kind of think we know where we are. And then as they walk around, they're like, oh, we definitely know where we are. And then they look up at the statue that they've seen before. It's been very nicely foreshadowed in the first two episodes. And then suddenly, it's not what they think it should be. So it's it's very it's not just the one image, it's the fact that building from this point that you thought the episode was over. Now you look and it's like in no way is this thing over. This story still has a lot more ground to cover. Which it, it it's it's really cool because it totally re energizes the plot. I will say though, I mean since we're up to sixty six, that means that we've uh we've passed by um, Dalek Master Plan, and I'm sorry, but some of the best cliffhangers—unfortunately, they don't really exist anymore visually. Mm-hmm. But a couple of the best cliffhangers in Doctor Who history are in DMP because DMP Part Three, where Katarina kills herself in order to save the Doctor, and the and the episode ends on her death, ends on her screaming as she gets sucked out the airlock. That's hardcore. And then it's Probably immediately the followed. That
8: does exist but only is that bit.
4: Yeah, I mean, we're not just doing right. this list. I mean, we'll add it other... Right. I think any, yeah. Eric Von Danigan was the book I was thinking, the writer was thinking about. I'll try and yeah. find his book. Okay.
2: Um. Yeah, there's there's that. And then the episode right after that, where um, Sarah Kingdom makes her mark as a character as she... She kills her brother. She kills Nicholas Courtney, who you you know for the first four episodes of this thing, he's practically a companion of the Doctor too, as much of a companion as Katarina is, because he's had, I think almost the same number. Yeah, he's had pretty much the same number of episodes as Katarina, and um, so she kills him really calmly. You know, it's his brother that that. I don't think you know quite at that point that that's her brother. Maybe you do. I, I can't go out remember. But nevertheless, she nonchalantly kills him. And then one of her underlings comes up to her and says something like, why did you do that? Or I can't believe, you know, express some sort of um, concern that she's done this. And she just looks at him and says, look, I'm following orders. There's all these... Uh, rebels who are around when you get a rebel in your sight you shoot to kill and you aim for their head and that's where it ends her saying you aim for their head and the thing goes off and it's like oh, this woman is serious about what she's doing
4: so. okay I think his first book was called *Chariot <laughs> of the Gods but um uh, anyways But uh, we're not just sticking with this list, we're using this as a starting point. I've got a list of uh, about another 30 um, that I will just briefly run through as we get towards the end. And I'm afraid I haven't got many of these as actual audio clips, but I have got some different clips. But if we move through the list, that's not going to be the end of the show. Right. Exactly. All right,
1: moving on. Number six, Power of the Daleks, episode four. From 1966, the Daleks are hoodwinking a group of gullible Earth colonists. Uh, ah!
5: <sighs>
1: yeah, group yeah, of Earth Earth folk <laughs> into thinking they're, uh, they're docile servants. Good thing there are only a handful of Daleks around, then, right? Oh wait, there's a huge giant, giant Dalek production line cranking them out by the ton.
0: Anyone? Well, it's about one of the few surviving clips of the story, so <laughs> it's a very neat moment.
7: Mm. I don't think I've seen that one yet. I've listened to it. <laughs> this this um, is the
8: Daleks Conquer and Destroy, Daleks Conquer and Destroy. Daleks,
7: Daleks
6: and destroy Conquer it. and Destroy. Yeah, it gets really annoying. Oh, that's lot, but, we um, do right, have <laughs> um,
4: uh, one, of the, one of the podcasts I listen to on Torture is... Um, um, the um, oh, it's uh, Kerry's uh, show um, uh, Garden City. One uh, I've not got the number, but his son said, um, No, it wasn't, I tell a lie. It was um, uh, who, on, who on Who, and it was uh, his son, David, who is his son, that said that uh, he's just listened to Pound the Daleks, thought it was a really great story. And it may be one of the ones that uh, Who and Who may do as an audio story rather than the, the classic series they're covering about. Mm-hmm. So um,
6: no, it's sure, certainly it's, got
4: a lot of fans, that story.
6: I enjoyed oh. it. It's just, that, it's just that bit where they're all coming out saying, Dalek's Conquer, and Destroy, I think goes on for a tad too long. But other than that, that's just my that, modern attention span, you
5: know. That, so.
8: that, that, that's an that's hour modern eyes watch the clip.
5: And exactly, it's clearly yes.
8: three, three Daleks going round and round one corner.
5: It's not, not that, quite having the enough time to make
8: this. themselves look like they're more than three Daleks going round and round the corner.
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs> it's just it's just the, the line going, Daleks conquer and destroy, like about a good 50 times or whatever it is, it must be. It's just a little bit much. I could have maybe cut two or three seconds out of it and I wouldn't have wanted to, you know... Never hear a Dalek again.
2: <laughs> it's
6: <laughs> the end of this, but um, no, well, generally I do like this. Sorry, um, I kind of, of yeah yeah
2: yeah. I know I agree with you, Romana. It, it reminds me very much of really the end of the end of time part one. It's just a little bit too much on the central beat of the, the cliffhanger.
6: Hmm. It's, yeah, well, then just kind of had like... With the, with the, doc, the master
2: laughing, yeah.
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, so that went on for a little bit too long. They could have cut just, that just, out. Just that. tiny you know, bit, tiny bit,
2: tiny bit.
6: Tiny bit, yeah.
2: yeah.
6: It's the yeah. same with this. I mean, there's only so much exactly. long you can hear a bunch of Daleks going, saying the same thing over and over again <laughs> without going insane.
2: Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a little <laughs> disappointed in this list that it would choose this particular power of the Daleks, when really, I mean... During this particular month, in 66, uh, surely the bigger cliffhanger is the 10th planet par I mean, because I that think- had never... I'm not sure maybe he's going by the rules of it's, you know, inter-serial instead of intra... I mean, intra-serial and inter-serial I think of the
0: rules of the footage
2: exists. Oh, well, but the footage does exist of the cliffhanger. I mean, not, not much, but the very cliffhanger definitely exists of... Um. But still, I
6: think he, I, I think this list isn't like um you know it's within the story not sure listed, you know, sure. linking but, the story but yeah I, but I yeah.
2: think you know the of the more memorable things that happened at the end so during this part of 1966 I don't think you're gonna really top Tenth Planet because nothing like that had ever happened who the hell knew what the hell was going on yeah. You know? mm.
6: Indeed. But, um, yeah. I just Alrighty. have to say that the story, um, the story when um, Victory of the Daleks was um, first on, um, I thought of the story straight away because it's a similar type of plot, I find. You know, Daleks are, you know, I am your servant, I am your soldier. You know, I just thought, I just remember watching Victory of the Daleks thinking, Mark, you fanboy. Um, but anyway... <laughs>
1: There. <laughs> Alrighty. righty, moving on to the next one in the list, uh, and I still haven't figured out how to say that <laughs> word without chopping up my own tongue before. Anyway, uh, the Moonbase, episode 3, 1967. The Doctor has outwitted the Cybermen and driven them out of the Moonbase, closing off their secret entrance. Except... Now the whole cyber fleet has landed and a huge army of cybermen is marching across the moon's surface with a huge cannon aimed at the base. How is it resolved? The doctor figures out how to use the moon base gravatron gra graviton? Tra- ton,
6: ta-
9: tron uh, graviton against
1: them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a gadget thingy. Yeah.
6: <laughs> Reset
4: them.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm going out to buy a new tongue tomorrow. <laughs> Dave,
4: no, not a lot to say about it really. It's um,
1: I keep referring to Dave because I know at least <laughs> he probably saw that when it came yeah,
3: out. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah,
4: um, I mean, the, no, there's not a lot to say about it really. It was, I mean, the the moon base was. I, I seem to remember quite being pleased about how the moon base was realised, except it looked as though it had no glass in it. It looked, um, you know, it looked as though the uh, it didn't look a very safe place to be inside. You know, very fragile to be on the moon, but um, not really any big shakes, I don't think.
6: I haven't gotten around to listen to it yet. I have it, but I haven't gotten around to listen to it yet. Um, <clears throat>
0: yeah. I know from seeing surviving bits, it always seems to me that the story doesn't really seem to have much of an ending. Like the first time I saw a clip from the story, you saw the moon base people going, ah, yeah, we got rid of the Cybermen. In a really cheesy way, and you're just thinking, ah, this is the sort of thing we see in many other Doctor Who stories. The Cybermen are about to show their actual card. Then I finally yeah. saw the surviving episodes, and no, they don't really, that's the actual end of the story. Thing.
4: Yeah, that was I, think it. The, I think the 10th planet might have been a better one to have with the Side of them there for that one.
2: Yeah, I mean, Tenth Planet 2 probably is a moon base 3 in mm. terms of shock two Yeah, or or even Tenth even Planet 1. Um, but yeah, Moonbase Moonbase is weird too because just like it and the wheel of base, the exact plan that the the Cybermen have is so obscure that it makes the the cliffhangers mushy you know because you don't know
4: exactly what's going on with them so it's like
2: it's dumb I would not have put this here at all
4: a lot of noise from somewhere sorry over here there no I wouldn't have put it in there I must admit
2: Mm-mm.
4: and anyway we've got the next one another Cyberman one to follow do you want me to take this one in while you put your tongue straight <laughs>
1: beg your pardon
4: <laughs> <laughs> so sure you can, take, you, can, you can take and one of these I'm
8: I the the talk. Talk. doing a bit of acting and you'd know some vocal exercises <laughs>
5: Yeah. Uh, ma number,
8: number 8 any the any of episode 2
5: 1967
4: whole army of Cybermen is in cold storage underneath their tomb on the planet Telos and as the doctor watches in horror, they thaw out. The cyber controller approaches and announces that the humans belong to the cybermen, and you will be like us. How is it resolved? The doctor barely gets out of that frozen. Yeah, that word. Regulatory in one place. Require. Yeah, that word. One piece.
5: <laughs> Hang on,
8: let's have a look. Oh.
1: Now he knows why I turn it over to him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was found almost 19 years ago now. It's been, survived. it's been recovered almost as long as it was lost.
4: Yeah. Wow. Amazing.
5: Wow. Oh,
0: no, It's certainly
4: iconic one. them breaking out. Um, there's no doubt about that. And uh, Re-
8: Reliquary. Relic, relic Reliquary. A place where relics are kept. <laughs>
4: yeah. Oh, I'm well, in the leave. right place then.
1: Recently I actually got around to watching this whole thing and uh, it is a cool scene, uh, unfortunately, but wasn't it like the, one of the few parts that actually remained of the story? Yes. Until its discovery?
4: Yes, because that was filmed, yeah. that little section and them breaking out was filmed I think. Right. Yeah, because so they put them survived. back in and
1: they reversed the film.
5: <laughs> um,
1: yeah. it, 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 is, it, it is a great, great scene um, but I wonder if it if it's a great mm. scene, because it was the only thing that survived of what everybody mm. thought was this wonderful, wonderful episode, but that uh, I mean, wonderful story, but really it's not that wonderful, um, and it's overly long.
5: Mm. Oh, I um, like it. <laughs> I remember, the when being can't take
3: found. It so much. Mm. Ah. Sorry. I
8: remember Go when ahead, it was Benjamin. found, which was conveniently during the um, the wilderness years, when there was no new Doctor Who. It coming out on VHS was quite an event because suddenly we actually got to see something new. And you sat down and watched it, and you thought, "Well, this is one of the the, the best Troutman stories I've seen yet." Well, I don't think I'd seen all of them by that point, but it, it still holds oh, up pretty well given its age. That's because there
6: wasn't many Troutman stories to see. Well, no. yeah, sadly,
0: you know. So you you were trying to say about something, about the something
1: that, the Benjamin.
0: I'm just noticing the fact that I do have to wonder about this guy's judgments, because um, there's no Colin Baker cliffhangers in the list, and he's mm-hmm. annoyed about the fact that another list made room to put a Colin Baker cliffhanger in. In fact, he's got a line saying, the best cliffhanger, on the, the best cliffhanger in the Colin Baker era was the horrific discovery at the end of the Twin Dilemma that this guy was going to be sticking around for a while. <laughs>
8: <Yes>. <laughs> it just made me laugh when you put it in chat I didn't realize you'd lifted that straight out of the article Yeah, it's
1: nothing like having a biased list maker But you know, what do you do?
2: Well, but in <laughs> fairness, there aren't great bangers in the Colin Baker era Because, what, half of them? At least half of them during his second season Are just close-ups on his face? I mean, come on <laughs> you, you don't really have That's to be biased
6: dramatic, man.
9: Oh,
2: please
1: Anyway,
5: the
1: Vengeance on Varos when they're getting hanged. And of course, by that point, we know the Doctor's not going to die, because, hey, it's Doctor him. But anyway.
4: Yep, moving along.
9: Oh, Anybody else want to c-
4: <laughs> comment
1: on Tomb Cyberman Cybermen before we get to Zoe? <laughs> As I said,
9: oh. Dave's
7: favorite, net? Oh, we'll <laughs> That's what I thought. Can we they, let Dave uh, take over. Those plastic wraps was pretty eerie.
8: <laughs>
5: yes, yes.
6: Well, i got one last thing to say about, about it, that um, it's so iconic that they used it again in um, um Army's Coast. how they had the southern men tearing tack- through the... of the Sidemen. No, no, in the new series.
8: Oh, oh in the new series? Yes. Yeah.
6: You know how you got in? Oh, in, um, in, oh you um, got the, the, in, the, the in Army of the, ghosts, is it? Yeah, Army of ghosts, and they tear through the um the the whatever the sheets of plastic that they've got like building works and torchwood, and then they the, kind the of tear weed. through
5: them, yeah,
6: or whatever you call them. And um, so yeah, it's kind of like referencing um that and same in Rise of the Cybermen, where they crash through the windows of like rather then crashing or breaking through things, sorry. Mm. Iconic and came from this. Place.
1: There you go. Yep. Right, do you want to do you want to take this one Dave? or can you not make it through without? Well, no, the I, picture?
4: I, I, I'll just watch the visuals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, the Mind Robber episode one from 1968. The TARDIS explodes. You don't get much more cliffhangery than that. In fact, you could just do a list of cliffhangers where the TARDIS explodes, but I believe this was the first one. Uh, the Doctor and his companions are left floating in an eerie void with the shattered pieces of the Doctor's time machine. How is it resolved? Everyone stares at Zoe's bum. I mean, no, uh, they drift into a <laughs> land of make-believe, and the story goes downhill from there. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Dave? <Yeah. laughs> well, Dave. What Dave. else do you, have, do you have to say anything, do I? <laughs> I mean, it, it was iconic. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs>
1: iconic. He's,
3: he's, we just know he's, what I kind of iconography like Dave particle. prefers.
4: I think he's trying
6: hard not to say another word that it was. Hmm? Iconic, oh. yes. Iconic.
1: Iconic. <laughs> oh, I can't see why he likes it. <laughs> sparkle, sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> ah, get number nine, or this is the the part of the list where we make fun of Dave.
5: For Dave.
4: I'm trying to find <laughs> a bigger picture. <laughs> 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 of
7: course you are.
4: I'm I thought you have it on your now nowadays.
1: I thought it was your yeah. wallpaper on your desktop, Dave.
4: Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I found found well, I found a page with a picture of it on. Uh, it's uh, about the fourth, fifth image down. <laughs> so no, I mean it, it was spectacular to see the uh, the tile is blown up as it were. And all uh, disembodied.
1: Mm. Although it, uh, to me it makes you wonder. It's like, well, hang on. You know, I thought those thing was you know bigger on the inside. Where's all the other walls? Okay. No, yes. Anyone else?
5: No. Yes. No. No. Okay. It appears it
6: appears to be purple. The so jumpsuit. Hmm.
4: Well, it was black and white, of course, when it aired. Mm -hmm. I think it was a a dark blue, I think I've seen it.
7: Uh, I think that's false colour that's been
4: put on there, yeah.
7: Yeah, I think
1: so. Alright, moving on down the list, or up the list, or through the list, The War Games. The War Games, episode 9, 1969. The Doctor has no choice but to contact his own people, the Time Lords, for help. But can he escape before they arrive? Apparently not, since everything starts to turn into, slow, into a slow-motion nightmare, and the Doctor passes out while trying to get his key into the TARDIS door. How is it resolved? The Doctor finds a last burst of strength and gets the TARDIS door open, pulling Jamie and Zoe inside. And silence fills the room.
5: All right, moving oh,
8: oh, on. First yeah, I, opportunity I, the show had I saw to a little
7: uh, so really, scary. I just had that on one of my uh, VHS tapes that I was uh, looking through. Didn't realize I had that particular cliffhanger of uh, War Games, and I was like, "Wow!" But unfortunately, somehow my tape is missing. Like every other episode of that fear of that story.
1: The unfortunate thing about the War Games for me was that I actually purchased this on VHS. I know it's strange for a fan of my time to have actually purchased the VHS of the War Games. Uh, but I, I never actually managed to make it through the whole thing without falling asleep. <laughs> right. well, to be terribly honest,
2: it's very, very long. <laughs> I mean, it is well, cool, um, this Episode 9 thing. I mean, you know as this sort of indicates it's a slow motion sequence where the doctor and Jamie and Zoe are really struggling to get to the TARDIS and they barely make it inside and it's cool but i mean again I, I don't know if this guy just has an aversion to a, a cliffhanger that at the end of a serial or what but i i don't see how you can say that episode 10 cliffhanger – isn't better than Episode Nine. I mean, because Episode Ten, you know, you don't know what... It's sort of worse, in a way, than Tenth Planet, because at least in Tenth Planet, you get to see the face of the guy who's coming next. This one, you don't know what the hell is going to happen. And it was a much bigger break between the end of the war games and the beginning of Spearhead from Space, not only then, you know, obviously, from Tenth Planet to Power of the Daleks, but also, as it turned out, of course, it, it was there... Than between any any other two doctors, um, you know, any other regeneration sequence until maybe fourth to fifth. Um, but it's I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't put it's good, and it's maybe better than some others that are in the games. I just got to go for ten over nine. Yeah. yeah.
1: Again, it, it little... seems like he's he's going by a, a rule of if, if it has to be it has to be an internal cliffhanger rather than right. You know.
4: Yeah. They used this same slow-mo, well, a similar slow-motion idea, didn't they, with the, the third Doctor in the Kronos one? I can't remember the... Uh, uh, time, the time monster.
5: monster
2: yeah. Time, time Yeah. Yeah, I said, su- yeah. I don't know. It's good. It is actually, it is effective, but... The, the weird thing is, is, since we're on our last black and white thing, I think it, it, it it's weird how many black and white cliffhangers are simply not cliffhangers at all i mean really totally terrible cliffhangers um like i can think of uh, oh i don't know planet of giants part two the cliffhanger is a person pulls the stopper out of the sink Mm. and then you get ian saying oh doctor is in the sink with susan and then they come back from that, and the resolution is, "Oh, Susan, let's hide in this overflow pipe. Everything will be fine." I mean, you know, and that, and that's not atypical, really. I think it's it's much more typical black and white era that the story simply stops for a little bit. Keys of Marinus, classic. It, it, a lot of times. So does, so does even Marco Polo. It's just that the episode stops and. It's almost like they use the episode title during the Hartnell the era to be the cliffhanger. And that works sometimes because sometimes, you know, the title, of the next episodes are really enchanting and really lyrical, and that works. But so many of the black and white ones, the story just sort of stops. Yeah.
4: You hit the pause button.
2: Yeah, and it's and then part of it too is there isn't the sting. You know, there's not the very let's. Sting innovation that came the next year in season seven, which really helps you get, oh, this is, you know, the direct punch, you know, and you don't have that during the black and white era. You just have the, the sort of fade up of the music, of the entitled music, and that's really not that dramatic, you know, added to the fact that some of the stories sort of stop at a point that's, you know, it's somewhat important, but it's not like you know, the doctor's about to die or anything like that.
4: I mean, modern stories have let us down in that way as well. Mm. I mean, I remember in the fires of Pompeii when um, Donna's kidnapped and you think, what a great place for a cliffhanger. And then two minutes later, she's just being tied down. I'm just thinking, good, they're going to torture Donna. And uh, the doctor turns up. She's She's hardly in peril at all before she's rescued. I thought, well, that was a waste of a cliffhanger.
2: Well, I suppose, of course, that's not, I mean, that's not yeah. cliffhanger.
4: But, I know it wasn't. But I mean, yeah. that, that's where I missed cliffhangers when I saw that. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah that's true. But it's, it's so much more important. And you see this, it, it becomes quite dramatic when you get to the Hinchcliffe years, because I really defy anybody to go through the Hinchcliffe years and find a truly terrible cliffhanger or something that really doesn't make you want to see what happens next week. Because Hinchcliffe was very specific about this. He was like, you will make the stories such that each cliffhanger does have sort of meaning, such that it really does make you want to come back. But, you know, even just comparing Hinchcliffe to Barry Letts, you still have things in Barry Letts' age where, you know, the the running of an episode was going over um, on one episode, but on another episode it was running under. So they changed the scripted cliffhanger to be whatever they could make out of those two parts so that both episodes were 23 minutes long. And that really hurts things like, you know, what, Planet of the Docks or whatever. One of the cliffhangers is looking down at the floor, literally looking down at the damn floor. Um, Whereas you don't get that in the Hinchcliffe era. Every single week, there, you know, you can say that some of them are better than others, and you can say that, you know, like Terra Zygon's Part 1, the Zygon doesn't look that good in that particular lighting, or throughout Ark space, you've got the Weirin, and the Weirin is a monster that lets you down. But the narrative intent in the Hinchcliffe era is always that that cliffhanger makes a difference to the uh, momentum of the plot, and it really does bring you back. But that's, unfortunately, not that the black and white era.
4: Charlie, do you want to come in with what you've put in text because you haven't said much?
2: Oh, I was
3: just just pointing out that the one, the the lame cliffhanger where they look at the floor is Death of Deluxe, Episode 3.
2: Oh, you're right, Death of Deluxe, not Planet of Deluxe. You're quite right. I was going. Five (laughs) Five points. Five points, indeed. The Sarah one. Thank you. (laughs) All right. I suggest
1: we move on. And as as says next we're in in vibrant color with the, uh Doctor Who and the Silurians, episode six from nineteen seventy. The doctor and the brigadier are crouched over a dead body, the first of millions who will die from the Silurian's plague. How is it resolved? A whole lot of people drop dead in the street. In one of the show's more graphic scenes of death and disaster. Um actually the resolution's actually better than the uh than the in the cliffhanger. Uh, because of that, uh, it is one of the. It's quite a scary thing where you're seeing all these people dropping dead in, in Doctor Who uh, out in the streets and everything too. Um, so I don't get why the 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 cliffhangery parts decent. But hey, what do you do? Yeah. Well, well, no, the
4: rats are leaving the ship. <laughs> I think it's Tim typing. It's
8: not me.
7: No? Somebody else is typing. Oh, no, like uh, it's Romana. I think it's As long as nobody calls him the cook.
6: <laughs> yeah, it's probably me typing. <laughs> Twitter. Barman's <laughs> on Twitter. Mm-hmm.
4: Bum. <laughs> well, that was a bit of a cliffhanger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, I recently watched this. Um, yeah. What he says about the about the the graphic scenes of death are are, are great, but the, the finger eh
3: whatever
4: no strong memories about this one I'm afraid, so uh, just, just millions of people dying yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, moving on inferno episode six nineteen seventy the world is destroyed. What more could you ask for? Oh, sure, it's an alternate Earth, but the Doctor is trapped there, watching helplessly as the world ends in flames, and our Earth is next. How is it resolved? The Doctor manages to get the TARDIS working at the last moment, returning to our world. Again, another cliffhanger from an overly long uh, story. That again, it's like, well, how is it a cliffhanger if you know it's an alternate Earth, and you know that the Doctor's going to get back there? It's not much of a cliffhanger.
4: No, although I do like the story. I mean, the monsters yeah. weren't very good, but uh, it, it, I, it, I, I, I,
1: it is overly long, and unfortunately, the only um, the only exploration you get of this alternate universe is
0: the same building you've seen before. What did look like Brigade Leader or uh, Leopard Stewart or possibly Section Leader Shaw were going to cross over to our world at one point? Mm. Sorry, I love that, and that would be interesting. Mm. If they'd managed to cross over and you'd had the two versions of the characters on the same planet,
8: mm. right? I used to think it was overly long, and then it came out on DVD, and I hadn't watched it for a few years, and I thought it was brilliant.
5: Hmm. And that, that, yeah,
8: that was having watched it in one sitting.
4: Yeah, the other thing that put me off, as I say, with the monsters—I mean, watched uh, um, the chap who used to play Stepto in a in a Carry On uh, horror. Oh, Carry On Screaming. Carry on screaming, which had virtually exactly the identical monsters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I did like well, the the
1: voice treatment on the on on the monsters,
2: but that's beside the point. I think it's interesting to have here. It's nineteen seventy, and they are good. And I, I would I would tend to go for the Celarians of Inferno because I don't know Inferno's. I think a little bit overrated, but not that much overrated. Um, but but to me, I think it's interesting that they don't bring in ambassadors of death part two because to me that's a really cool cliffhanger. In that you know here you are in the second story involving John Pertwee, you're not really sure about him after. you this thing chronologically after Spearhead from Space because he's active in Spearhead but only sort of you know episodes two and a half to four. And even then, one of the last things in your mind is that awful creature that's wrapping itself around, um, you know, the doctor's neck. There, the nesting consciousness coming out of the vat. So he's still sort of—you're not quite on board with him. But in episode two, like the cliffhanger to that is this—you know—the capsule comes down. Nobody's talking to them from within the capsule. They're not sure of—or or, no, things are talking to them, but talking in a really weird way, not sure that this is actually the the astronauts that they sent up or not. And the doctor just sort of takes total control of the situation, grabs the microphone to start talking directly to the people inside, and you know, figures out through a series of questions that, in fact, they are not human whatsoever. And the whole thing ends with Pertwee, in a very Pertwee kind of move, just looking directly, or what you think is directly at the brigadier and just says, right, cut it open. And that's where it ends, just right there. Like, he's like, okay, we're going in to figure out what's going on. And it's like, you know, it's it's a very atypical sort of cliffhanger because it's not like a monster then pops out. It's not like, you know, you get, you know, that death is about to come to some character in the thing. It's just virtually taking charge and saying, Okay, something's wrong in there, and we're going to figure out what it is. And it's it's sort of, for me, the first really, truly doctorish moment for the third doctor. And I, I've always really liked that cliffhanger.
1: Mm. Hmm. And silence fills the room, so time yeah. to move on.
4: <laughs> yep, we've got <laughs> lots to get through. Yes.
0: Colony in space. Think I don't want so- to put the world on fire a bit, though. Are we doing it all today, or are we going to split it up into multiple episodes for sanity?
1: We'll see how far we get.
0: Colony in Space, episode four.
1: Almost every cliffhanger in 1971 involves the evil Time Lord, the Master, trying to kill the Doctor in some playful fashion. I particularly like the... This, of course, is the writer, not me. Uh, I particularly like the one in Terror of the Autons, where the Master has the Doctor's... Uh, strangled by a living telephone cord but the one that always sticks in my mind is the one in Colony and Space where the master decides that he is, he is done with the fun and games and he's just going to shoot the doctor in the hearts he pulls out a gun and appears perfectly happy to pull the trigger and then pretend the doctor died in the crossfire how is it resolved? someone interrupts the master before he can pull the trigger and he has to maintain his cover identity as the adjudicator
2: it is a cool one, but of course this assumes that you've been able to stay awake to get <laughs> to Episode 4. Um, and that's quite a chore, because Colony of Space* is uh, rough. The, uh, and it's cool, because this is one of the cool moments in it. And the other cool moment is, of course, in Episode 1, and it's not the cliffhanger, but it's you know Joe's first trip in the TARDIS. Joe actually realized it for the first time that the TARDIS is a real thing, and it does actually do what the Doctor said it would do. So there's these two cool moments in it, but man, the rest of it is just... 70 hippies.
1: <laughs> Alright, moving on. Genesis of the Daleks, episode 4, from 1975. And as the writer says, yep, there's a big gap here, but I honestly can't think of any outstanding cliffhangers from Pertwee's final three seasons. The Dalek origin story is a different matter, offering a few great cliffhangers to choose from. The best one involves the mad scientist Davros, torturing the Doctor's friends to compel the Doctor to divulge the secrets of how the Daleks are defeated in the future. If the Doctor breaks, it'll make the Daleks invisible forever. How is it resolved?
2: The Doctor breaks!
0: It's gotten the three Doctors, but even so, it is a good cliffhanger he picture.
5: Oh. I yep.
6: can't remember. It's been too long since I've seen this one. And I have all memories. At fire, six of the morning.
5: Yeah, it's it's
8: the <laughs> same conversation where the doctor says to Davos about the um, the file of a poison so strong that if you oh, squeezed plastic. it, and broke it.
5: Yeah. it's that scene. Oh yeah, that
6: one.
7: And he says, yes, it's I much am more it
4: memorable. Me. Yeah, much more mm. memorable. Yeah. yeah. All right.
7: And it's. I think when he's, he's like holding that uh the two wires and he's like about to put them yeah, together, saying, "I'm Bye. going to destroy the Daleks once and for all," and well, he goes, "But can I?"
8: Well, well, also, in this same story is, and um, I, I don't know if it's a particular director or whether it was Hinchcliffe's love of um freeze frame, freeze frame cliffhangers, but there's one where and um, Sarah's climbing to the top of this um, missile or something and suddenly slips off.
5: And the off, director goes, Ah,
8: freeze-frame cliffhanger. And all you get is a mid-fall and yeah, straight into the theme tune.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I remember that one. Because the peril is totally <laughs> not that perilous. It's
8: oh, yes, so she could only t- fall 200 feet to the bottom of a rocket. That's not remotely perilous. Well,
0: they could have killed her. That would have made it perilous. Yes. Of course
4: that would have killed, made it difficult to do the Seraphane adventures 35 years later. Yeah. <laughs> that fourth
2: right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not kill I, her I, off. I, we
1: might need her for a TV show later really off. Really
2: <laughs> right. mm-hmm. this, this guy's wrong to say that there's nothing in the last three years of Pertwee. I mean, jeez. There's, there's, hence I, why I, I
1: read that one out, because I knew there'd be something to be
0: said on that one.
2: I mean, I mean, come on, there's episode one of the Time Warrior. That's pretty good yeah you know, two of those 4 tankers
0: and the three doctors
2: yeah this um, yeah yeah three doctor
0: their doctor apparently wiped out leaving the site and and then whole all the unit being yanked through a black hole that's pretty this good.
4: Is the Silorians. uh, it's gonna be for I like
3: um, the ending to... I know this is not this is the last episode of serial, but uh, Joe's departure and green Death.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah, well in fact the green death one is a bit where the the car in the mine shaft as well where the the brig and the doctor rush to the mine but the the she's already gone down with her fiance and they can't stop the the uh, the lift in the lift shaft. That
3: was Bertha Miner. That was a her fiance.
2: Well, yeah, it was Bertha Miner. But yeah, that's a good one. I mean, there's there's stuff. I I think that the ending, the-,
4: the Sea Devils, where the Sea Sea Devils come out of the sea, with Doctor and the Joe on the beach, oh.
2: even even like the end to Invasion of Dinosaurs Part One is pretty good. So there's I mean there's stuff there, and I think actually there's better stuff than I I mean that part of and Alix, surely Episode Five.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean come on. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Well,
3: that's, well, that's what uh, David Tennant, his first memory of Dr. Who, is that, is that cliffhanger to episode five.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that it comes... I mean, okay, the cliffhanger is not technically the do I have the right speech, but it's it's so close to the end, you know. It's effectively a part of that cliffhanger. Right. You know? And and even, even I, you know, is it just... I, I still think that the cliffhangers in... Um, Ark in Space although you do have the unfortunate realization of the we're in each one of those cliffhangers is fabulous each one of them moves, they're perfect if you want to know how to use cliffhangers to move a story forward you really don't need to look any further than Ark in Space because Robert Holmes drops in ramping terror into each one of those and it is let down by production values but just on page what's the narrative, how do you make these cliffhangers work that's textbook. Every one of them. And it's sad that they're not mentioned. I think it's sad that, you know, Robot Part 1, I think that's cool, too, where the robot comes out of nowhere and is menacing
9: yeah.
2: um, Sarah Jane. That freaked me. Uh, so, I I mean, I can understand putting Genesis in, but so not Episode 4. Right. All right, moving swiftly on Yeah.
1: yeah. Not because there's not more to talk about, but, uh, we're only at number 15!
5: <laughs>
1: Pyramids of Mars, Episode 3, from 1975. The Doctor manages to destroy Sutec's rocket, finally putting an end to the mad god scheme to destroy the 4th field generator of Mars that keeps him a prisoner. But to do this, the Doctor must venture into Sutec's pyramid in person. And he's helpless before the unspeakable power of the O-Siren. How is this resolved? The Doctor becomes Sutex puppet.
4: Right, I've got a clip for this one, Ian. Oh, uh, About time, so my sound's not sounding so good here, so hopefully you'll hear this okay.
5: Sutex, so Last of the outside.
4: But there, and that's one of the reasons why we're not playing many clips because most of them are. Uh, I like just, that. And uh, music <laughs> over yeah. with very little work. Well, that's uh, inevitably
8: how a cliffhanger is introduced, anyway. Uh, so <laughs> to, to me, that's I'm the matter. i at my
4: end. I hope it's coming through uh-huh. okay. Yes, everything sounds fine at my end, Dave. Oh. All right.
1: permits Permanent Mars? Anyone? Anyone?
4: More famous, I think, for the fact of uh, seeing uh, a hand holding a uh, suitex seat in place,
9: which,
8: which 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 I seem to always miss whenever I watch it. Someone's going to have to just physically point it out to me one day. And you know. it's clearly not as obvious. Perhaps I've seen it once that that particular hand, but I'm too I'm too busy looking at the doctor in suitex to be looking at hands and things.
5: Oh, my Obviously, I'm in
8: the beginning of the next episode where Sutex says something like that. I'm just, I that. We're getting some wow. Ooh.
1: I don't know where that one came
8: that's, from. That's suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, they turned <laughs> off the TV transmitter.
0: <laughs> anyway. All right.
1: I think we shall move on. Number 16. The Deadly Assassin. Episode 1,
5: oh. 1976.
1: The Doctor rushes to prevent the assassination of the Time Lord President, but he fails. And to the viewers, it looks like the Doctor himself is the assassin. How is it resolved? The Doctor is accused of assassinating the President and must prove his innocence. I don't Devil's like the story. story at all, actually. I,
2: think it's I don't intense. like it either, but the <laughs> Devil's Choice for... Um Cliffhangers. Because actually, you know, episode one and episode three are both really, really good cliffhangers. You can't Mm -hmm. really, and it's you know, which one do you choose? Do you choose the one where it's you know Baker apparently killing the president, or do you choose the one where he's got his foot trapped in the the uh, train tracks and the train is both of them are excellent, Mm -hmm. and you can't really fault the inclusion here of either one.
1: Well, I just found didn't find anything menacing about a miniature train. <laughs> if it
8: had been a
9: regular
1: sized
8: train, yeah, heavy enough to take his foot off, I think.
1: Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> hardly life <license> threatening.
8: <Right>. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's the location. They used what they had available. <laughs> if they'd had today's budgets, they'd have put the whole crew in it on the road and gone down the road and found a huge train. But as it was, there happened to be one nearby where they were filming. But um. <laughs> Now, my, pro- my problem with that cliffhanger is kind of the way it's resolved, because you, the cliffhanger is the points close onto his foot, and then when the next episode starts, it doesn't actually happen. And his foot is, in fact, not caught up in them after all. I'm going, what kind of is the point of that cliffhanger, and if it never really happened? But then I guess that's kind of the whole him being in a fantasy world thing and stuff yeah. not quite making sense. They kind of dug their way out of it easily that way.
2: Which is kind of why, for me, the the toy train or whatever works, because,
5: mm.
2: you know, it doesn't matter that it's a big thing, because in this world, the small thing can perhaps be just as dangerous, you don't really know. It's just it's the fact that there is an oncoming train. Charlie's... The, the whole, the,
8: this mm. whole bit of the story is just full of stuff set to unnerve you, mm-hmm. like the... Doctor finds a mirror in the sand, sweeps some sand away from it, and suddenly there's a a a clown in the mirror. And uh, at some other point, at some other point, Goff shows up as a uh, a surgeon with like the most hugest syringe you've ever seen.
1: Um, Charlie says in the chat, episode three is the one with the doctor's uh, sure. head underwater. Correct? Isn't that a far more dramatic cliffhanger? The fact that the
5: it's,
4: isn't it's, that it's the one that Mary the, Whitehouse complained about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. well, yeah that's the, 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 the
8: iconic one that she hated, and the one. apparently got some um, edited out of the 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 repeat of the story when they showed it that summer. Yeah, it kind maybe of conveniently
2: in the list, I
5: guess.
8: Because
2: mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not the same as what it was. All
5: right. mm-hmm.
2: as, as a freeze frame, it's not that good. As a non-freeze frame, it is good, I think. Yeah. But yeah, no, pointing out that there is that. Nevertheless, just thinking of the original form, that's true. So now you got episode one, two, and three. They are all good cliffhangers. All right. uh, it's true. Mm-hmm. But again, this points back to the thing of you know, Hinchcliffe and Holmes, the of make everything count and it really does and I think we missed something too because we've gone past now Sarah's time but I th- the one actually is my favorite of all time to be honest is *Masquerade* Dragor 1 because that one the, the resolution is great the actual cliffhanger is great and the way in which the Doctor gets out of it is very particular to that Doctor because here in number one and, and it's also sort of you know, the two hander deal, the two hander cliffhanger. We've got peril to Sarah got peril to the, the doctor and both of those perils are resolved in the next episode and it's just a matter of editing which one actually hits at the sting. And, you know, at at the end of one you've got um Sarah about to be sacrificed, more or less. She's getting perhaps fed something or m drink something that's gonna, you know, not be good for, and then you've got the doctor about to be beheaded, and you know you get the full mm-hmm. dramatic play of that beheading scene you know you get the the a focus shot on the drums starting to beat, you get a focus mm-hmm. of the count up on the uh, veranda looking down, giving the order for the beheading you get the doctor you know forced into position, and then you get you know the swing back of the uh, the executioner with his axe about Fell the doctor's head. And the resolution is just so Tom Baker. I mean, it's him saying, Oh, wait, yeah. wait, wait, hold on a just a second. I like to look my best. And he unwraps his scarf and he wraps that scarf right around the teacher's legs, pulls his legs out from under him, and then jumps off on a horse and just goes charging off. And it's like, that is the perfect setup and resolution of a cliffhanger. There's not you can't fold it in no way, and it's on film, and it's in Port Marion, and it looks great. There's nothing about the cliffhanger that doesn't still play well today.
4: Right, yeah, uh, I must admit it, it. It was a little bit. Uh, well, it was a, a good use, I suppose, of the scarf. But you'd wonder how it would have the weight to do it. It needed a, a sort of an iron weight in the end of it to uh, to, to do something with it. But um, yeah, that's uh, a, a special that scarf. One. I I, I thought you'd also mention the brain of Morbius there's a couple in there I think there's one where Sarah's struck blind isn't she and she's um, I think she's staggering towards uh, the brain in a jar or something like that I can't remember the the exact things of it but there's poor old Sarah struck blind and I think brain of Morbius is one of your favourites but yes, we've skipped a few to get to this. So um, let's move on, unless anybody else has anything to say. To um, the Face of Evil, episode one, 1977. Uh, the Doctor is confronted with a huge carving of the face of the evil one, the mythical bogeyman that terrorises uh, Leela's tribe, and it's his face. How is this resolved? The Doctor vows to find out why it's his face, why his face is the image of ultimate evil. When he doesn't even remember visiting there before, Janus Thorns at the ready, folks. Uh, anybody wants to come in on this one?
8: I well, love if that was a the, modern uh, episode. It would make a really fun. cool piece of merchandise.
4: <laughs> nice carving of Tom Baker's face. And uh, uh, was that round in the background? Ah. Uh,
7: yeah, I was saying that. I, I love the uh, the Trinity thing where they touch the um, they do the sign of the. Uh,
4: it's not the cross but the suit right anybody else i know we i realize we're wrapping through these but but there are literally over 47 years even with the with the long interregnum as it were there's still lots of ones that could be in contention this is obviously a quite personalized list as we've we've already noted so um I, I'm going to move us on. There are quite a few of these Tom Baker ones here. Uh, the next one we're up to is... Um, Ooh, uh, I've lost my track. Where has it gone? Oh, Invasion of Time, Episode 2. Uh, 1978, the Doctor becomes president of Gallifrey, his home planet. But no sooner does he... Finish swearing his oath to protect the people of Gallifrey when he destroys the planet's defences and invites a race in a race of cruel invaders, the Vardans. He tells the Time Lords to bow down before their new masters, and how is this resolved as they swish away in their Bakol foil? Oh, he doesn't say that, but I'm saying that. Anybody wants to comment on this particular one of course the doctor has constructed his new lead lined office we don't know why he just likes the decoration of it
7: oh actually i do love the uh the scene with the uh w- with the uh, pa- uh doorway and he goes oh he often did like the sound of his voice <laughs> uh what talking about um Okay. Talking about uh, oh no, not I hate it when names elude me. (laughs) Barusa, sorry. Barusa, yeah. (laughs) Took me a while. Um, Yeah, like he looking for the key and um, he opens the uh, the tapestry aside and says, "Aha, a door." (laughs) And I. no, that was one of the um, atypical. Let's use my voice themes.
4: Yeah, of course, this is one of the ones where um, the doctor seems to be t- working totally out of character. But of course, yeah. we're we're excluded from the reasoning behind that because he needs to try and find out who really are the invaders. And uh, and I'm not sure whether that was too much of a cliffhanger or not. Maybe it was.
7: I- uh, that's like number three episode what is it episode four's cliffhanger when you thought it was the end of the show and all of a sudden you see you, uh, you see right. everybody looking behind the doctor I mean that's oh. like one of my all time favorite cliffhangers I think
4: okay and unless Ian who's back wants to just mention anything about uh, that one I think we're ready to move to the pirate planet
1: invasion of time yeah Oh, awful! Sorry, shimmery tinfoil monsters that end up being
4: bah, 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 bum, humanoids. But I like you.
8: <laughs> Let down. It's, it's a fine example of a story that's too long because you you have the shimmery monsters, which you think's all resolved by about episode four or something, and then suddenly they bring in the Centaurs for no apparent reason just to fill out two more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> But they, they, at least one of one of them does entertainingly talk with a Cockney accent.
2: <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, I mean, yeah, it is kind of a <clears throat> it's got some narrative problems. But oh, the good yeah, thing I is that without without invasion of time, you don't have sort of the emotional resonance in Poison Earth and uh, and understanding that this that the Santarans are really on the level of the Daleks. I mean, it, to invade Gallifrey is a big deal. And it does help that race become bigger. But, you know, I hate Sontarans, so whatever. But <laughs> it, it, it is a point in their favor that they are somehow Spoiler competent alert. enough. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for 30 years later. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a point in their favor that they are able to mess with the Galfrans, yeah. I suppose. And isn't this
1: th- the first time we've actually seen multiple
2: Sontarans?
5: No. Oh
4: yeah, 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 of course. Because the Sontaran experiment only had one, didn't it? Mm-hmm.
8: Where well, yeah. it, it had had one act of playing two different Sontarans, but they weren't in the same place. Yeah, the other one was on his communicator screen with yeah, True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking to oneself. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. All right, like,
8: usual usual <laughs> BBC way of saving money.
4: You want to take the next one, then, Dave? OK, The Pirate Planet, Episode 3, 1978. This one freaked out my... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a naughty boy, Ian. You're a naughty <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, this one freaked out my SH-1T when I was a kid. Uh, the Doctor does, uh, back to, uh, goes back to confront the Captain and his mysterious bossy nurse, and they make him walk the plank, driving him off the edge, where he falls into it, falls to his apparent death. How is it resolved? It's not rid really of the doctor, but a project, projection is created using Queen uh, Zanex. Is it secret? Yeah. But what I liked about this was the actual concept of the thing. I loved the idea that the uh, in those containers weren't replicas of the planet, but they were the planets themselves. Because what the pirate uh, would do, his ship would actually um, materialize around a planet and then, irrespective of whatever was living on the surface, extract all the mineral wealth or whatever from it. So the concept was absolutely fabulous. Mr. Febillet? it does lead
8: the fourth doctor to a wonderful rant at the baddie in it, though, where he gets to say, yes, but what's it for? What's it for? (laughs) I can't shout it without laughing, but Tom Baker plays it wonderfully passionately.
7: Oh, my favourite scene is the uh, the jelly babies, uh, you know, where... (laughs) <laughs> um, he says, "Well, let's see if I can." And and uh, with the jelly babies, i uh, guiding the uh, the guard around to to lure him away from the air car.
5: Oh,
7: yes. <laughs> <laughs> That that has to be one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I don't.
4: I mean, it, it was one of those strange uh, stories that uh, some things I thought was absolutely brilliant, some things I thought was silly with it, but uh, the the cliffhanger doesn't. Particularly stick in my mind, so I don't think it was that great.
8: It's, there's always going to be silliness because Douglas Adams was involved.
4: Yeah. yeah, and Charlie, what was the name of the? Was it, was it the parrot that was called Mr. Fibulari's assistant? And yeah, no, it was no, his assistant. assistant. Mr. Fibulari. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Fibulari. Yeah. And the strange parrot, the metal one. Oh, I
7: love
4: that. Or an owl or whatever it was.
8: Oh, oh was the parrot.
7: Yeah, well, they had to have it bite some baker's
8: lip pretty sharpish, because he'd, he'd had it bitten in real life by a dog. Oh, yeah, suffering for a while.
7: I love how oh. uh, K-9 kind of, like, rolls in very proudly with the parent is uh, uh, attached to his snout.
4: <laughs> okay, I think we, we ought to move on, because. Uh,
1: Ready, then. After trying to get uh, Sabotage Day with that one, <laughs> I'll take on the next one. Because I do remember this one. Uh, Number 20 The Leisure Hive, Episode 2, 1980. The Doctor is put into the Tekion Generator as a kind of trial by ordeal. Plus, uh, a test of Harden's. Uh, time manipulation theories. Romana is fairly confident that the doctor will emerge from the generator uh, just a few years younger. But when she returns to Hardin's lab to gather something, she sees that the hourglass that was reversed in uh, in time has
9: exploded
1: with fragments suspended in a horrible force bubble. This means that their calculations are wrong, and the doctor is trapped in the generator as it ages him Hundreds of years. How is it resolved? The Doctor is left an old man whom nobody will listen to. I remember seeing this one rather than, of course, being a fan and rewatching it, you know, time and time again, but I remember seeing this one and, and actually wondering as a kid, like, how are they going to get out of this one? You know, the Doctor's really, really old. And it was, um, it was quite well done, makeup-wise and everything, too. Um, yeah. I was I was quite imp- I quite remember being quite impressed as a kid, going,
8: Wow,
5: he's really old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The
8: irony is Tom Baker now is an old man and looks younger than he did in The Lazy house. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: think
5: you know, he'll
8: should just have, have, have to kept grow him a old. beard or something. Mm.
0: You should have left him old for the season. Yes. Yeah. Give sense of his age. Just like with the specials, David Tennant should have been appearing progressively older. You should have seen the first. You should have seen a good streak of grey hair and Planet of the dead, a full-fledged grey head in waters of Mars, and a white head in end of time to indicate the time had gone by. Well,
4: mm-hmm. certainly would have helped him coming back at some mm-hmm. point, and lots of missing stories to include. Mm. But uh, you mean they didn't just have all the people on the planet saying "Doctor, Doctor, Doctor" mm-hmm. to bring mm-hmm. him back to youth?
3: Oh. Ooh,
4: <laughs>
1: naughty boy. <laughs> um, for,
4: for, some, for someone not remotely
8: religious, uh, oh, yeah. Russell C. Davis did have a habit of writing religion into his stories quite
4: <laughs> yeah. surprisingly often. Okay, anybody else? Charlie, what's other comment?
3: No. I always say I like the one, uh, two, um, episode one, where you see the doctor get ripped apart, he's screaming. But, um, That's a much
8: better clip, right? state-of-the-art effect at the time. Oh, yeah. They'd just got a machine made by Quintel called a Mirage, I think, and you could do all these nifty video effects that um, at the time were the the thing, and it, it became a bit bit all the rage over on BBC One. They'd use it in various different ways, and I think it, it peaked with one that I love quoting, and that's that... Um, they folded up the end of one program once and put it literally straight into the weather forecaster's pocket. And having seen they'd done this, he tapped his pocket and then went straight on with the weather forecast.
5: <laughs>
8: <laughs> but, um, no, it, it it became a bit silly in the early 80s because they'd got this piece of kit, and suddenly it was being used on top of the pops. And I think top, Doctor Who often get these things first because. They thought, well, if if anyone can muck up with it, we'll we'll let Doctor Who muck up with it. Plus, they'll probably need it more than anyone else. So they let Doctor Who use it, and then suddenly it's everywhere, and it's being used on sketch shows and music programs and everything. And then the technology moves on, and nobody uses such things anymore, which is a bit of a shame, really.
5: Already.
3: Well,
1: moving on to another one that I remember, and this is one that kind of bugs me, because it uh, relates to the the, the prior ones that we've talked about here. Um, The Keeper of Draken, Episode 4. I'd also mention Episode 3, where the evil Malkir tricks everybody and uh, becomes the Keeper, sitting on the throne that allows him to wield ultimate power as one of the all-time great cliffhangers. But it's the Warfare dwarfed dwarf, by the horrifying end of episode four, with the Melko, revealed to be the master in disguise, traps Ness' father mess and takes over his body. How is it resolved? The master has a new body. At last. Now, the reason why I bring this up as being uh, at odds with the, the rest of the list is he actually picked the end of a story, um, which he didn't do with any of the other ones and overlooked some other great cliffhangers. But this one... Is awesome because I remember again, and I, and I still kind of marvel at it—the fact that um, that Anthony Ainley plays the part of Trima so well that when uh, he becomes the new master, it's almost like you had no idea that that was, you know, uh, that was him. Um, he plays Trima so well, and and then the Master is so malevolently and you know very arch and yeah, camp. But hey, what do you do? Um, oh, I love it. I, I think it's amazing. It's like wow, that's that's the new Master now.
4: Mm. Yeah, I think it probably deserves to be on the list, even mm. though technically, as you rightly say, it's not in a sense it's only a cliffhanger in as much as what's the master going to be like next right a serious cliffhanger almost in a sense
1: right but that's that's the thing it's it's (laughs) at odds with other better better cliffhangers that had happened prior to this that that he didn't list and we had of course assumed it was because he wasn't listing the end of you know stories which is now not the case Dark.
2: yeah I mean it's well, I I take that point I don't know that it's all that great is it really? I mean, it's it's nothing to do with it's nothing to do with the story really, at all I don't think um, it's just something that's on there uh, and I, I've never liked it because I never have understood it I don't get how the Master was ever able to do this um, I don't like it um, but then again, maybe
7: I just, liked it too.
2: no, I'm saying I didn't like it i don't I don't understand it it doesn't make it it' never has made any sense to me. This whole thing, master being somehow outside the thirteen regeneration limit when the thirteen regeneration limit was only written in order to explain the master in the first place, it's all been about the master and, and he he got around it, and they they must have known at some point. That the master was supposed to get around that limit, and yet they never really gave us any satisfactory reason why or how. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it, is it leftover power from being the 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 keeper? Is that what it is? Is it keeper energy that's making it possible?
4: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, uh, it is actually.
1: I, mean, is I think he does actually allude to it later, like in um, uh, Legopolis.
4: I suppose,
2: but see, then then you and got I, the thing. The the, actually, was, but the actual the melker is the Doctor's TARDIS. It's not. Yeah. I mean, it's the Master's TARDIS. It's not that the Master has ever been, I don't think, in the in the episode exposed to Keeper energy directly, any more than if the Doctor landed his TARDIS on top of the Keeper's flame, that he would be directly, you know, exposed to it. So I don't.
7: It, no, think it doesn't make was any the sense. The fact that the Keeper was dying the old keeper was dying and a new one was being bo- what was being created and that um oh what's his name was chosen to be the new keeper and the master decided uh chose his moment to step into the uh fray you know right when the energy peaked and that's when they emerged mm-hmm.
2: what is that re- No that's further
1: I mean, I I I just always assume. I guess when when the melker appears in the in the keeper's chamber and has access to the source, that um, of course that power and energy is being funneled through um, the outer shell of the TARDIS and you know to yeah. the master. Yeah, that's yeah, just that. what I assume. You know, filling in the narrative.
2: Yeah, and I guess I can understand that because that's about the only thing that you can assume. But mm-hmm. that doesn't really make any sense given the fact that we've spent at this point almost 20. 20- um, being told that basically the TARDIS is indestructible and impervious to influence. Uh, I don't
1: know. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it, 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 my, the reason why I kind of uh, nominated you to come in on this is because you know of, of what you mentioned before—the fact that you know he tends to. Tended to ignore the, yeah. the those 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 cliffhangers and right. and and now here he brings up one that really isn't a cliffhanger. I mean, I love it's it because not. it's a great scene, but it's yeah. not a cliffhanger because it's actually a resolution to the story.
2: It, well, it or it's just a at best, you know. It it really doesn't it doesn't propel us into the next episode. Although, you know, you do need that next. You do. I mean, Keeper her trucking. Is it, it's a loose trilogy that and. Castrovolla. So yeah, in a sense, it kind of moves, sort of, but it's still not—it's still not as much of a cliffhanger as to Planet* or *War Games* or whatever. Mm. I don't know.
1: <laughs> All right, we will move swiftly on to number twenty-two, <clears throat> *Earthshock* episode one from 1981. Killer robots terrorize the doctor and his friends in a cave, but their secret masters are revealed to be ba 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 the Cybermen, watching on a monitor. How is this resolved? The doctor eventually confronts the Cybermen.
4: I've got a clip for this one, Ian.
3: Okay. Who are they? Androids. That's why they didn't register on your scanners. Androids? Are they yours? No. And if you want proof, you'll find they'll kill me as willingly as they'll kill you.
2: See what I mean?
5: That's Ben. I recognize that sound.
2: Those are the things attacked
8: you. Yes. Do you know why?
5: No. There isn't a reason.
8: Whoever's controlling the
4: androids thinks there is.
5: Destroy them. Destroy them at once.
1: actually a good, a good one in the list of the last
7: <laughs> i think anyway um
1: again another one of those ones that i remember watching at the time and going oh my goodness it's a cyberman you know um because up until then it had been just this little adventure in a cave with these robots um and and to, to you know then to You're cut away to something of the Cybermen, to, to the cyberman you know being there and it's like oh
4: wow cool
1: yeah, but again, that's the memory yeah. of a kid.
4: And I think so, uh, that Charlie they... P. put the text in there before it actually heard it. So another five points. Uh, Tim, well, I was away when you needed unmute, sorry about that. As long as i well, the,
5: to... the fact <clears> was
6: this story that um, it's it's a Cybermen story that's not the title of it is not of the Cybermen.
5: So <laughs> if
6: they are generally a surprise, I mean. Like, you know, for a story like Revenge of the Cybermen, and like, you know, they turn up. I, don't, I haven't actually seen the story, so I could be wrong. But, you know, they turn up at the end. It's like you're kind of waiting for them to turn up because the yeah. story is of the Cybermen or of the Daleks. With well, this mm-hmm. one, it's Earthshock. You don't know they're going to be in it, so it's generally a surprise. It's probably yeah. why it's such a good clip, Because you don't know they're going to be in it. Well, I, I, I kept, think the defense s- staff have going
4: to say something to
2: disagree with them. <laughs> I mean, that, that, was, yeah. that was the plan, but I don't think that the plan actually came off. Um, I think it, to some people it, it would have. To me personally, it, it didn't, because I had time in those days because of the lag in getting episodes from... You had time to get Doctor Who Magazine and, you know... Figure this out. I mean, I knew what the entire Davison era was about before we even saw anything beyond the five doctors because, you know, of Doctor Magazine. So, although I, I take your point and I, I really do think that that was the intent, I don't think that it's something that everybody experienced. I don't even think in Britain it's something that everybody experienced because I think, I want to say there was some, I could be wrong about this, but I want to say there was some kind of leak on it and somehow Nathan Turner got all upset some i think somebody did know before broadcast that it was going to be Cybermen and it got reported somewhere I, but i could be wrong
4: All right but of course we but were in 1981 I, I, not everybody was sort of savvy online and maybe reading these sort of magazines so it, it would have been localized <laughs> yeah online no in
8: 1981
2: of course it was online i think it got you know i radio times or somebody something like leaked
4: yeah, I think it was eighty three I mean, description first PC. in
2: radio times. Sorry, what was that?
4: I think it was about eighty three before I got my first PC. Yeah. Eighty yeah. six before
2: right. I got it. It's I mean to me you know, I don't like Cyberman anyway, so who the hell cares? But I don't I don't think it's like the greatest <laughs> cliffhanger in the world. I really, um I mean it's, it's
4: It was it's a reveal, fairly... wasn't it? It was a reveal uh, more than a cliffhanger. Yeah,
2: you know, and it's hard uh, this is one that like just sort of walks over me. Even there's some in the video age where I'm like, that's a really good cliffhanger. The arc part two. That is for many construction reasons, narratively, narrative construction reasons. That is a great cliffhanger. This one is just what it is. It's just it's just sort of there. Um, but I, I can imagine if you really like the Cybermen and you really and you were hoping to see a glimpse of them, which I think a lot of people may well have been back in that day, and you know you avoided whatever spoilers there were, and you went into Sam says just seeing Earth as the title, it might have worked for you. It really might have worked for you. Um, for me, when I when I saw it, even though I knew that it had Cybermen in it, I was like, "Are you kidding me? This is." what this is not going to be a good episode. Because I just yeah, hate Cybermen.
4: But, Cyberman. but the, we'd also just gone through the period where it's the, the bad is either the Daleks or the master. It's the master or the Daleks. It's Dalek or the master. So in that sense, I suppose, it was a slight breaking of the mold that it wasn't what? you know, revealed straight away. A little bit like Invasion of Time. That they were actually trying to be slightly more devious whether they succeeded or not.
2: Well, brings an interesting point of comparison, because actually the Sontaran thing in Invasion of Time, to me, even though a lot of people don't like it, that episode 4 cliffhanger of suddenly it's the the Sontarans, that's better to me than the Cybermen thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I can agree with that.
1: Um, according to the TARDIS wiki... Um, producer John Nathan-Turner was keen to keep the return of the Cybermen a surprise, and thus ensured that this aspect was given no advance publicity, even going so far as to arrange for the studio observation galleries to be closed for the duration of the recording, and turning down radio times when they offered to feature the Cybermen in the cover photograph and article to mark the start of the story. The Cyberleader and Cyber Lieutenant were referred to simply as Leader, and Lieutenant in the combined Radio Times cast for parts one and two.
2: Nice to keep a little on. Oh, that's good. Hmm. Yeah,
1: that's nice huh? Yeah. That Can't is keep now. a little on nothing anymore.
5: <laughs>
9: <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Moving
1: swiftly onwards. Number 23, The Caves of Androzani, Episode 3. The greatest Doctor Who cliffhanger of them all, I'd argue. I'd argue too. Uh, the doctor is dying of Spectrox Toxemia, so weak he can barely walk, and he's been taken prisoner by vicious gun runners. He manages to get into the control room of the spaceship and steers it back to Androsani Minor, where his also sick companion... And the cure for the disease are. The gun runners are about to shoot him in the head, but he's dying anyway, so he's not going to
4: let them stop him now.
1: And sends their spaceship on a collision course with the planet. How's it resolved? The ship crashes.
4: And I've got a clip of that one. All right. Full length. Get serious.
2: And,
3: uh, I don't think that's the clip we're looking for. This is
4: i the for.
1: That's not yes. the clip you're looking for.
4: <laughs> right. Carry on. While I just mute myself. <laughs>
1: All right. Um. Yeah, yeah. It is a great scene. It is uh, the, I think one of the the finest scenes of the Doctor. You know. Um. But a great cliffhanger not necessarily because you know he's not going to die it's another one I was, the show's been going that long where you know the doctor being in mortal peril like that uh, you know uh, it's not like they're going to open the next episode with well the doctor died in of Perry so let's continue on Ooh. sounds like we've got a battle going on
2: <laughs> yeah I agree I mean hard to actually put the doctor into any kind of serious peril and you know i mean you've got to have a regeneration you've got to have something like stolen earth where Hmm. the the, you know you can cut it mid-regeneration you can't do it anymore now because it once. but i mean you've got to have basically something along those lines where it looks like there is going to be impending regeneration for it to you know work out um and I don't know. I i I, I think Cases of Amazani is vastly overrated. Um mm. so whatever. It is it is, as you say, a nice scene, but right. that, does it serve to make us really think something's going to happen? You know, does right. it propel us into episode four any more strongly than anything else that you might have come up with? Uh I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not.
1: Yeah, that's, that's like I mean, it's it's, it's a lovely scene. In this course, it's it's well known now. Yeah, you know, that particular scene. And I think it's one of the reasons one of the reasons why it's held up as uh, a a wonderful story is mainly because I think everybody remembers it. And and it's Peter Davison's doctor finally actually being pretty dang magnificent. Yeah. Uh, and you know that's why it's on the list, if you ask me. Not because it's an actual great cliffhanger, but just, yeah, I uh, think on
2: paper it doesn't work well. But you, you take Peter Davison's performance, which is Great, and and at it with Graham Harper, who's actually freeing him up really for that performance, mm-hmm. um, and and the way that Graham Harper is shooting that particular scene, it becomes instantly memorable. But now, I think you're right. I wonder if you just ask, you know, twenty moderate Doctor Who fans, I guess, who maybe have seen this episode twenty years ago, if you ask them, is that the cliffhanger? I would, uh, Sorry,
4: Uh, it was bounded by about 30 seconds of audio music before it but I had to try and play that'll be
8: the clip (laughs) yes that was the clip Mm.
1: but yeah as uh, as Darth and I said I think it's it's, it's fantastic for 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 Peter Davidson (laughs) Mm. (laughs) not because of the cliffhanger itself All right, I think we shall move on. Number 24. Getting close, folks. Stick with
5: us.
1: (laughs) Remembrance of the Daleks, episode 1, from 1988. I'm including this one, says the author of the list, against my better judgment, because I know it's regarded as one of the great cliffhangers by many fans, uh, but the actual execution is pants. With Sylvester McCoy pulling some dreadful faces, basically the doctor gets trapped in a basement with a Dalek, so he climbs the stairs to escape. The Dalek starts levitating up the staircase. How is it resolved? Hey, splits the doctor out of the basement.
4: And I hesitate to say, but I've got a clip of that. <laughs> After doing my. Fingers crossed,
1: folks. Fingers crossed.
4: Fingers crossed. K- KBO
5: Dangerous things, mm, Matt.
4: So no more Daleks can be transported through
5: here. Well, it'll slow them down a bit until the operator can repair the systems. The operator? Yes, the Daleks usually even operator on station in case of any malfunctions. And that would be another Dalek. Stay <laughs> oh
1: Another one of those where surely three exterminates would have been sufficient. <laughs> Did we really need exterminate all the way up the stairs?
6: Well, <laughs> or? the extension is just attentional intentional disorder. That's probably what it is. Something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This, this 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 becomes a, a great cliffhanger, I guess, in in the public's eye because to them it's the first time the Daleks have actually flown, levitated, whatever you want to call it. But there's no better, no. The Daleks have always been on the fly; it's just never been on the screen.
4: Wow! It, yeah. Uh, no
1: well, uh, What I said must have had quite some uh, impact, It, it yeah.
4: really. W- it, uh, it no. It really was uh, a big thing. Because uh, the jokes were going around, weren't they, at that time? Certainly mm. in the UK, you know, you, you can easily run away from a Dalek, or, you, you know, you climb some stairs and you say. So it was to address that, wasn't it? And it was right. quite unusual to see it to hover up the stairs. And it was referred to, wasn't it, by... Uh, is it Mickey in one of the other stories later on? Mm. Which is the story where... the. the I'm sure it was in one of the, le- the news series. Oh, in uh, Dalek,
1: uh, where they're 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 running away from the Dalek, of course, and then they go, "Okay, let's get up the stairs," and then you hear "Elevate." Uh, of course, it's meant to kind of echo this, but again, you know, our serious fans know that the you know the comic strips and everything. The Daleks always been able to fly one way or shape or form.
5: So.
1: nothing surprising yeah? And as he said, you know, it's just a lot of uh, silly faces by Sylvester McCoy and uh his his shouty voice.
4: Hey, he's
9: and the
4: his pratfall on, prat on the stairs, which yes. as you know he's poor lad had to undergo surgery later in life.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: the convention you were singing at.
1: Yes, uh he was over here for one of the Hurricane Who events uh leading up to the convention and uh he says it was a basically a comedic in- injury. <laughs> <laughs> Too many pratfalls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, all right. If uh, unless anybody else is going to, have to say, <laughs>
2: I'll just say, <laughs> like, like every episode, every cliffhanger in the McCoy era, the music always robs it of any kind of power. And here, of course, you got Jeff McCulloch and just totally rips the power out of that scene entirely. Yep. And
4: hence the reason we're not playing many clips, because nearly all of them are screams of music.
2: Okay. Right. The underlying music here is just terrible.
1: Oh, it's that, that uh, typical kind of 80s, 90s, you know, techno kind of all synth, yeah, fake music. Yeah. Everything done on one keyboard. Yay! And as GIF,
4: <laughs> uh, um, G7 says... Well, the, the people had never seen it, so the assumption was that um, you know they moved along because the original ones, had, uh, as uh, I think Ian said, originally was only moved on metal floors, um, and it was only gradually they were seeing what they could do. So mm. I think it was just people just hadn't considered that they could levitate.
3: Right.
1: Yeah. Mainly, it was mainly a, a big scene, of course, for the for the. Uh, for the general viewing public, for you know, like David, they said, you know, the joke had always been, you know, you can get away from a Dalek just by running up the stairs. You know, there's plenty of cartoons that made fun of the Daleks that way, or, or uh, comedy shows. You know, where they just book it up the stairs. But anyway, moving on. Number 25, The Curse of Fenric, episode three, from 1989. The ultimate cipher machine springs to life, unlocking the secrets of the Viking runes as Millington intones that the chains of Fenric are shattering. But the new host body of Fenric isn't Millington. It's Dr. Judson, who rises to his feet with an evil smile and tells the Doctor that the game is beginning again. How is it resolved? The Doctor is forced to play the game of traps.
4: And I'm forced to play the clip.
6: About
9: someone to support,
5: the time is now. On. The chains of conflict are shattered. The gods have lost the final battle. It's too late. It's him. Dead men's ship has slipped its moorings, and the great ash itself trembles to its roots.
4: you play the contest again.
8: Time. I'm just, uh, there's all drama that just has to music. I'm waiting well, for the um, 1970s scream at that point. There's a It doesn't, it doesn't grab you at all, Keith McCallick's music. It's just... Hmm.
1: And of course, in that clip, just as a side note, you heard Nurse Crane, played by Anne Reed, who, of course, featured as a blood-sucking vampire with a straw <laughs> in the new series. Sorry, I had to add that in there. I remember seeing her in there and going, "Oh my god!" Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> I I actually like this one because it is a bit of a, a bit of a surprise. Cause uh, but it just turns out that Millington's just flipped his lid rather than anything else. But him standing up there and, and you know, uh, the green eyes. Yeah,
4: that, that was quite a good one. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it's breaking up at my end, so... Yeah. Huh? It's something uh, like
3: that. <coughs> <Dark?
2: laughs>
1: no, wait, no you know, that. The, uh, that. the McCoy era is your favourite. <laughs>
2: Right, I mean, you know, what am I gonna say? It's like the greatest thing ever. No, I can't. I mean, like like you, I think I, I, the point is that the cliffhanger resolution here is so terrible because he he, the guy just doesn't have the power to do what he's talking about. And even so, who the hell knows exactly what happens at the end of, um, you know, Curse of Fenric? So <laughs> it's. It doesn't mean anything to me. Not, there's nothing. There's nothing in the McCoy era. In the in the way that this guy says there's nothing in the um Six Doctor era, there's really nothing here either. Mm. I just I, I can't I don't know. Can't deal with it. Be any reason to tune back in and watch the next episode of Doctor Who during the McCoy era.
1: Alrighty, anybody else before we move into the new series?
5: Well, Alright. Mm, sorry, go ahead. That's one of
8: my favourite Tom Baker cliffhangers entirely. The one in I forget which episode of City of Death it is, but um, uh, with Count Gareth
3: Gareth, Gareth.
8: Too late. I can't get my head my tongue around it. Garleyon. His wife has conveniently left the room, and he's in the room on his own. And he rips off the, the rubber mask, over another rubber mask, to reveal the, the wonderful spaghetti head. Yes. So I remember being pretty, pretty pretty memorable at the time. It may may not seem as powerful these days, but it was pretty pretty memorable at the time.
1: Yeah, well, I thought that was a rather rather a good reveal. Mm. So that's it's it's the the TARDIS mask. Yeah, there's more room on the inside than it appears on the outside.
5: <laughs>
1: His head gets actually a lot bigger when the mask comes off.
8: I'd have to have a quick look what year it was. Um... That was over to Doctor episode died on the wall. Uh, oh, I was about eight when that went out. So when you're eight, you don't think about stuff like that.
1: <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, it's like it's only once you become realize you're a fan and start looking at these under a microscope. All right, moving on, number 26. We are now in the new series, Bad Wolf, from 2005. Oh, it seems like yesterday. The mysterious force behind the evil game show satellite turns out to be the Daleks, and they've captured Rose, and they have a huge fleet of ships all heading for Earth they try to hold Rose hostage but the Doctor gives another one of those great speeches and when he, where, where he says he will save Rose and thwart the Daleks how is this resolved? the Doctor saves Rose and thwarts the Daleks so really not that much of a cliffhanger <laughs> because it's what? just basically the Doctor doing, doing exactly what he said he'd do before the episode closed <laughs>
5: You
8: have to put yourself back in 2005 and in the head of someone who hasn't seen Dr. Who before. True.
1: That is a fan, which most of us are here. Hey. Mm. Not really a cliffhanger. <laughs> it's just a matter of how he's going to do
2: it. You know. Well, no, I would agree with you. I mean, because it's very... It's an unusual cliffhanger for Dr. Who in that it, it's predictive and it shows the... Um, the Ninth Doctor in a, in a vital, commanding way that most Doctors don't present themselves. Uh, and I think you believe, too, that when, when he says that, that everything is going to be okay. But, of course, not everything is okay in the resolution to the cliffhanger. If you take the resolution of the cliffhanger to be the entire next episode, which really it is... Um, because he dies, you know. Well, I mean, it's a very, if it wasn't it's a very. Sorry, go ahead, Roman. I was about
6: to say, if it wasn't for Rose, he would be screwed. Basically, it was, it was basically towards the end of it. You know, he, the only thing he could do to stop the Dark was to kill, you know, humanity. So she was, was totally at a loss. You know, he was ready to let the Dark kill him, but then Rose turns off and saves the day. So but in the, the end, it.
1: That's the end of parting of the ways, though, not bad wolf. Yeah,
6: but that is the resolution to the cliffhanger.
5: More or less. Mm. Sort of. Sort of.
2: <laughs> well, I guess I mean, if you're talking narrowly, the resolution of the cliffhanger is, you know, putting the shield around the TARDIS, um, landing on t- on the, the Dalek ship, extending the shield, and he does then save Rose and then leave the ship. Um... So if you're talking narrow, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Captain Jack blowing up a Dalek.
2: Right. Yeah, which actually is really cool if you think about it. Actually, no, this is a fucking cliffhanger because if you're talking narrowly, just you know, the setup and the resolution. The setup is the Doctor being very not really Doctor-like. I mean, not. I mean, being very Ninth Doctor. Yeah. But but not being like most other Doctors in that you know he really faces him down like a like a hero. You know, yeah. like a guy who's like a warrior, like a guy who's been in the time war and says, I'm going to do this and just watch me. Um, and doesn't it scare? Isn't this the part where he says, doesn't it scare you that I don't have a plan? Or is that a little bit later? I don't know. Yeah. But no, it, no, it's, that, it's,
6: that. it's in the speech he does the, uh, you know, he says, and doesn't that scare you to death? Right. You know, that he has no plan. Yeah. I mean, he has no, um. yeah, He's just he's going to do it yeah. anyway.
1: No weapons, no yes. plan, nothing.
2: I mean, when you think about what actually he does, it's cool because you've never really seen that before. Materiali- material- uh, materializing around a Dalek so that the Dalek is inside. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we take that for granted now that we've seen things like blink where the opposite sort of happens, but the idea of the TARDIS being able to actually materialized around something had only been sort of vaguely done before. I mean, maybe in, in like, Legopolis. But there you kind of thought, well, that's because it's another TARDIS. It can do that. Um, but the idea of scooping up a Dalek, that's, that was cool, I thought, at the time. Um, yeah. You know, and then the little speech that he makes when he comes out and he's protected by the, the shield of the TARDIS, all that's really... Very cool. So it's something that you know, both in the setup and in the resolution, the immediate resolution, at least, I think it pays off. Maybe a little bit better than, say, Aliens of London had done before. Although that was, you know, okay for, it was okay for a cliffhanger. The resolution was a little bit weak. Um, at least in the in the scene revolved. Part of it is weak. The part where, um. You know the doctor, the, the doctor's peril in that clip because it's t- sort of a triple cliffhanger at the end of Aliens of London. The doctor's resolution is a little bit weak. The other two are kind of okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, is it, it? It's still not better though. I mean, come on. This is on the list. Am I reading this right? I don't know. This is on the list and the uh, Moffat two-parter, isn't it? That's a cool cliffhanger. Oh, that is. Which one? Is
0: well, empty Child.
2: Empty Child. That no, is Empty cool. Child yeah. is on the yeah. yeah, that well, is <laughs> fabulous. After the show. Two hours ago, yeah. the best cliffhanger since
8: the show came back are usually lots ones. Well.
1: I mean, and the resolution's just fabulous.
2: Yeah, Go to your room.
1: <laughs>
8: Go to your
2: room. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... And in... in hey, that's also a very ninth Doctor. It's also, you know, still a very command present still authoritarian or whatever that's cool i don't begrudge this one being on the list but i do think it's curious that empty child isn't on the list
1: right
5: yeah absolutely
1: all right we're getting close folks so bear with us as we finish off the rest of the list there's only a few more to go coming in well not coming in at number 27 because it's just in chronological order If you're just joining us, this is a recap. (laughs) Uh, Army of Ghosts, 2006. Not only have the Cybermen basically conquered Earth already, but the mysterious extra-dimensional sphere is opening. What could be worse than the unstoppable cyber army all over the world? How about a handful of Daleks who survived the Time War? How was it resolved? The Cybermen and the Daleks? Throw up. Sorry, throw down.
9: (laughs) Yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah.
2: I guess Again here I would still say That Matt's Cliffhanger With um, Impossible Planet It's pr- It's better You're, You don't I mean It's original You don't have Any kind of ties To that And you've got Suddenly these Ood that you don't Know what the hell They're they're about Suddenly they're all Chanting at one With the beast mm. uh, And you've got The doctor I mean I guess The reason that Maybe they don't Choose that one Is because The actual Cliffhanger The actual Last moment is the doctor looking down to the pit, and okay, maybe the the most cliffhangery thing that one image, but when it's more than one image that's ending that you've got you've got a cliffhanger for the people who are above, and you've got a cliffhanger for the people who are below, and the combination of those two cliffhangers I think is much more interesting and satisfying than just oh, here are the dialects popping out of the thing but i mean i guess I guess why this is on the list is because um you know, you get now the potential, the realized potential that you're going to have a Dalek Cyberman throw down. Yeah. And that's that's the deal. As it turns out, that actual confrontation is not... It's awfully one-sided.
1: And it's hopefully comedic.
2: Yeah. Which, I don't have a problem with the comedy. I have a problem with... And I guess, I logically, I don't have a problem with it being one-sided. But one would still hope that... It, some point you're going to get like a true battle
9: between right. those
2: two or something Maybe if they ever bring back the original Cybermen you'd get some kind of confrontation there that would be worthy of the name Cyber Dalek War. Right.
1: You uh, just get the Cybermen on the ground shooting up and the Daleks in the sky shooting down.
2: <laughs> and yeah, that's and, much and, it. <laughs> and the Daleks kicking ass the whole time.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we, we of course, all want the Daleks to be the best baddie, but it would be nice if they looked like they were having a bit of a losing streak for a, for a change. Yeah. Anyway, unless there's any further
4: comments? No, move along.
1: Moving on. Utopia from 2007. The doctor realizes too late that the professor is actually the master, who steals the tower, training the doctor in the distant future about to be killed by tons of Mad Max rejects. The following cliffhanger, uh, the following cliffhanger in which the master ages the doctor hundreds of years and uh, decimates the human population is also pretty amazing. How was it resolved? The doctor uses Captain Jack's vortex manipulator.
5: No, <laughs>
1: It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good one. I mean, uh, the the big problem, of course, for, you know, speaking from a fan perspective, is that this has been rumoured. You know, we, we had heard there were rumours and mullings over that the Master was coming back, the Master's coming back, and, and the Master came back. Um, uh, the thing I'm not quite so sure on is, from a general public perspective, um... Not knowing who, you know, generally, you know, most of the kids that there didn't know who the heck the master was. There was no frame of reference, you know, which I find a little interesting when, when doing this, you know. Um, there's a relationship with the Doctor and the Master that goes back, you know, many, many years... The Daleks, it's easy to introduce that kind of a relationship because the Daleks come along, they shoot somebody and that's it. You know, There's nothing more complicated really to the relationship between the Doctor and the Daleks than than that for uh, for the general audience. Um, all they know is it's, oh, there's this other Time Lord guy and he just regenerated too, okay. Now yeah, he's uh, the guy from Life on Mars.
4: <laughs> and the, the, that uh, image, and just to remind people, uh, if you listen to this later uh, we're getting this information and this list we're using from io9.com and the page is forward slash five six two five one five one. uh they, they have a picture of uh, the master regenerating but the actual fact the the um the cliffhanger is the actual fact that they're left stranded in what is our far future uh, and of course as we all know and i was very surprised just how quickly that was resolved in the following episode um, but I'm a big fan of Utopia simply because of two particular parts of it and that's not the cliffhanger one's the bit where the Doctor and the Captain Jack are having their conversation through the barricade as Captain Jack's unlocking locking those um, devices uh, and the um, the fact that the Master is um, overhearing this and well he's not the Master he's Professor Yana at this point And all these names are resonating in his mind. Time War and uh, Daleks and this, that and the other. Uh, I mean, I I just love... (laughs) The universe is converging there again. I got some feedback. But... um, Yeah. So... uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of the episode. I'm not too sure... Well, that cliffhanger was almost resolved too easily, wasn't it? But we didn't know that at this point. It was a cliffhanger. Right. My...
8: my well, issue
1: with it is, is, sorry we're losing it, you a bit there, Tim. It's very hard to hear you.
4: Uh, the audio's bad in the UK at the moment, certainly for me.
8: why that is. I'll try and speak up a bit and hopefully that'll work. But uh, my issue with it is I don't really regard this as a three-parter. I regard... Utopia is a standalone episode that has a cliffhanger at the end and then after that there's a two parter. They're not really one plot line, which is what they would be if it was a three parter. And so if it if it's a cliffhanger, but it's a cliffhanger at the end of a story before another story, really.
4: Yeah, it's so a lead into it rather than yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's both the first of a three parter and yet standalone. I
8: mean, it's more of a standalone, because it just sets up the characters that are going to be in the two-part of this next, but really part of the plot that continues.
2: I've never really understood stood that point of view. Um, it's, it's very clearly to me a three-parter because the story is about the Master's return and you have the Master's return in part one and then you have what the Master does Uh, to set himself up in Part 2 by virtue of what happens at the end of Part 1. You know, the reason that the Master's plot is what it is is because of what the Doctor does to his own TARDIS. Um, If the Doctor had not, in fact, frozen the controls of the TARDIS so that he could only travel back between these two points in time, then the Master's plan would have been something totally different. So I think there's a bit more going on with Utopia than maybe you're giving credit for yeah. and 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 the the the, um, the cliffhanger is a multiple one it is not only how do we escape the future kind that are coming after us it's also how do we stop the master well first of all oh my god the master just come back that's in itself a cliffhanger then how do we stop the master from controlling the tardis and then what do we do about the master now that he's on the other end of whatever journey he's just made. Um, so
4: it's... Are there's a lot of things going on.
2: Yeah, they right, with TARDIS. I mean, yeah, it I take your point that it's it's very quickly resolved, but on the other hand, um, it's only partially resolved. I mean, the, two things are resolved at one time by the use of the, the Captain Jack's oh, little yes. wrist thing. Um, they escape the future kind, and they get to where the Master was. Um but that to me, I don't mind that because it makes perfect sense that that would have had a relatively uh, quick resolution. Um, otherwise, why would Jack have this device? I mean, it's it makes sense given what we know about Captain Jack and his little toys that there is a quick solution, a quick way out of two of the perils, and the rest of it takes two episodes to get shot of.
4: Yeah, I, I probably spoke. Uh, I didn't. Make myself clear I mean the fact that it was resolved easily doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't a good cliffhanger um, mm. and and mm. I agree with both you and Tim i mean this was a story on, on it that stood in its own right but it I don't led, that. but it led in but it leads into the two parter uh, so it's an integral part of it. But it's also a story in its own right. Yeah, I've never believed that it's a story in its own right. Because you can't... How, how does I, I, a
2: story in its own right end the way that that story ends? I mean, it ends in my, in total
8: cases. Once they've got to the end of that story and into that two-parter, they've traveled to an entirely different location with entirely different characters and then essentially telling a different story. There's not a huge amount carried over. It's not... A plot that goes from A to C.
2: I, I disagree. I mean, it's it's the entire plot of who the master is, what he's going to, and then you blend the plot from Utopia of finding Howard Saxon essentially into the Howard Saxon thing that's been going on throughout the entire entirety of series three. Um, I, it's it's yeah. the origin story of Howard Saxon, and that's been going on throughout the entire thing so it's it's to me it, it, it is in no way is it standalone. It's it's not only tightly integrated with the episode that comes after it but with the entire series.
4: And I just want to point out for people listening later that poor Romana is uh, desperately trying to get her audio back in because as she puts mm. in text, you know <laughs> this was my first cliffhanger. Damn it. Mm? I can't dial back in we feel your pain, Romana. Stayed up all night to talk about these stories, and now I can't. Stupid Skype, connect me! Well, can she I'm piggyback on, on you, Tim? On. Are you on Skype?
8: I'm I'm not on Skype, because I You're ran not out of
4: Skype. on Skype, it's on the phone.
8: On my mobile phone now, so... Well, according to my screen, she's just logged back in on Skype, so whether, whether she can now dial back in, I don't know. But, um...
4: Well, I'm sorry, Romana. I don't think, uh, unless you can try the Google Talk again, I don't know how we can help you at the moment. I don't think anybody else in the room is on Skype, are they? She she can hear
8: something if she goes to the web client and just
4: streams the audio through the web client. Try the shoe phone for once, Romana. just give it a try.
8: I don't
1: think she can actually even hear us. So
4: if uh, somebody wants to
1: uh, click on the text there and, and see if they can help her out. Anyway, uh, we must, unfortunately, push on. Um, as we've been going for quite some time already, and we really must finish. I have started, so I'll finish. Uh, moving on to The
5: Stolen
1: Earth, 2008. The Doctor is exterminated, and at the same time, and it appears uh um, <laughs> about to happen to Sarah Jane Smith and the Torchwood crew. And the Doctor starts to regenerate. The whole nation gasps, wondering if we're really going to see a new Doctor next week. How is it resolved? Bit of a cop-out, really. The Doctor doesn't regenerate after all. Not me, this...
5: Oops. Here we go. Good luck, Doctor. Well, stop tell me what's going on. When he's dying, his body uh, it, it repairs itself. It changes. But you can't. I'm sorry, it's
4: too late. I'm regenerated. Now, I have to apologise because I made two mistakes today. (laughs) Uh, I was actually, I put a text message here. And I was about to click on the text message, but my mouse was hovering over the click ready to the clip ready to play after you'd finished talking in. So I do apologise <laughs> for that. Uh,
1: uh, Ramana look, appears to be back, by the way, Dave.
4: Exactly. I was trying to do three things. It was I was trying to <laughs> Hello? Uh, put ...it in text. We can hear hey. you, Ramana. Hey. Yes. yes.
6: Oh, damn it! I've been waiting, waiting all night to be able to talk about these episodes I've actually seen, and then I drop out. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Just. Go back a bit to the Utopia one. Then we just moved on. To I story. didn't even
6: talk about. I didn't even talk about Doomsday. Didn't even get to talk about that one, which was my oh, first ever. Have your five
4: minutes of fame, then.
9: Yes. Uh, Go.
6: Army of Ghosts. The Army of Ghosts Ghost cliffhanger is the first ever series finale I ever watched of Doctor Who. I started watching the series two. Army of Ghosts cliffhanger was the first time I ever saw Daleks. So for me, the the end that cliffhanger was a very exciting one to me because as a Doctor Who fan. I was just getting into it. I'd never seen Daleks before.
1: <laughs> the crack of time.
6: Okay. There we go. Now that's over. Uh, um, so, 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 yeah. So I by Amy's crack once again. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, So, yeah. So I'd just like to say, yeah, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday, that was my first series finale, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Rose. But that cliffhanger in particular was really exciting for me because it was my first glimpse of Daleks, and I do generally like the Daleks, so it was quite exciting. My first story was with Cybermen, so for me, having them two together was very, very fun. Um, Series 3 finale, finale? well, Utopia is still one of my favourites of the new series ever, Um, and the Utopia cliffhanger definitely had to be at the time, was I thought was one of the best cliffhangers I've ever seen, um, because I was, you know, really excited when it was going on, and and I was just basically dying for the next one, um, which was slightly overtaken by the um, on Earth cliffhanger, but the thing that makes the Utopia cliffhanger a little bit better because you know, you honestly didn't know how the heck they would get back because you know, my sister wanted they're kind of stuck there. Um, But with the Dr. regenerating, you kind of knew he wouldn't regenerate, so um, the cliffhanger wasn't as, you know, it wasn't as exciting and as nerve-wracking as the utopia one. Well, maybe I'm just biased because they're my favorite stories, but, um, and I didn't like the idea of David Regenerating at the time, so um, it was quite a stressful cliffhanger for me, the Stolen Earth, I have to admit, because I'm... I was pretty much like with Rose the whole way. I was I was screaming at my computer screen, going no, 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 did not generate and all that kind of stuff. So, because I must admit I was a David Tennant fan I still am, but you know I love that Smith plant So, um, I'm not too devastated that he's gone, unlike some of my friends, but um, that's another story. So, that's all. all right. That's that's my thing. You know, if I drop out again, I drop out again. So I just wanted to get that. <laughs> <laughs> that out there because oh, I hate my internet sometimes it hates me.
1: <laughs> Alrighty, so yep, that's well, you're all caught up now. So uh, yeah, Come this on. one for me uh, again as a fan wasn't uh, much of a a big how he was going to get out of not regenerating was a bit of a cliffhanger, but the fact that I knew he wasn't going to you know and I could couldn't really see how. Um, unless, by some stroke of genius, uh, Russell T. Davis managed to like secretly cast somebody without the rest uh. of the world knowing um, as, as the new Doctor, um, there was no way he was actually going to regenerate, um, because since uh, the, the the show began, we've always known well in advance who the new Doctor's going to be. Well,
8: so,
5: that's
8: that, that not long before this aired. We've been told that, David Tennant had just been signed up to a period of a series of specials, and so we so we went. Oh well, we know that he's not regenerating.
5: <laughs> yeah. It right. just
6: RGD being cheeky, because that's what he likes to do. He yeah. likes to play with people's yeah. emotions, and he does it bloody well. <laughs> uh,
4: just before we go on to the next one, uh, Ian, uh, the the episode prior to the Stolen Earth, if I remember correctly. Was turn left, and um, yes. one of the ones that I saw on another site, another list um, had um, the, 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 prem, the the opening of the uh, the realization that the bad wolf was impending doom. So i just that if, um, So let me just play this clip.
3: What two words? What were they? What did she say?
4: And there again you have another example of the difficulty playing clips with this because most of them are just impending doom and noise but that was the <laughs> one where they I, charge out and everything, everything says bad wolf all over it and that was the episode prior to Stolen yeah. Earth.
6: I, I just have to say that I always conclu- um, consider this was the end of series three I consider this a free parlor because virtually turn left is pretty much the pro to the, the Stolen Earth the journey's end, you know it leads right into it so for me that's a cliffhanger in itself. And I think that cliffhanger is actually better than this one because you're posed with the question is like, you know, how are they going to get out This the universe is ending? You know, whereas in the other one, you know, oh, the doctor's regenerating, but he's not going to. He's going to find some way of doing it, you know. And he, and they were, they were foreshadowing the hand, you know, throughout the whole episode. So it was like you kind of guessed it. So, um, you know, but was this one you didn't really know? And then the trailer for it right at the after at the end of it was just a joy seeing everybody I remember at the time I had a little bit of a stress um, needless to say <laughs> yeah.
1: right. uh, I'd have to agree I actually think the journalists cliffhanger was a lot better than this one
5: again you know
1: I, I think most of the public were would probably be quite aware that there's no way that they you know that they'd be able to sneak a new doctor in there without somebody doing something
6: exactly yeah. Well,
2: I don't think about that. I, mean, I I think that the public went wild with the Stolen Earth. That week between Stolen Earth and Journey's End was crazy in terms of publicity for Doctor Who. Um, the press was speculating. It. You had it all throughout the breakfast morning shows. Um, I I don't think that any cliffhanger really is as memorable to the general British public than that Stolen Earth one.
5: Uh, oh, definitely. Because
2: it was just, it was it was crazy how much publicity that Doctor Who got during that week. I, there, there's never been, for me, a better week as a Doctor Who fan than between those two episodes oh, and being able to experience that live with the British people. Go ahead.
6: Well, for me, I was an absolute wreck the whole week because I was just waiting for the, you know, resolution of it because I was a huge David Tennant fan girl at the time. So it was just like, he's not leaving. But then, I, you know, back in my head, I'm going, he can't leave, you know, my logic part of my brain. But then my, you know, angle side of my brain just kept on thinking of the worst case scenario. And, yeah, I was I was a bit, pretty much a wreck, basically. So it was in my head for the whole week, you know. There was times between the other two, you know, week other cliffhangers where it's you know not really been in my mind as much as this one has because of the you know yeah, yeah basically
2: because i mean i was still time. i was still thinking even though you know logically and you're, you're in oh there's no way that there could possibly be a regeneration the contracts don't work that way um you know in the back of your mind i know that like tim said Tennant had just been signed to do these other episodes. But I still was thinking there's a way. There's a narrative way this could be the real regeneration. And okay, maybe this ends with a new doctor, but there's still a way that you can have David Tennant being the doctor for the next, you know, few stories after that because all you have to do is say, Well, that's a flashback. You know, there there's a way to get around the contract reality of that. And so it's i wasn't, why I was a wreck. <laughs> right. It wasn't in any way shape or form convinced that it wasn't a true regeneration. I believed it could be right up to the last minute, and I'm still slightly disappointed that it wasn't, although I'm in no way agreeing with this guy who says that it was a cheat. I don't think that was a cheat. I think that was using elements that have been in play since Christmas Invasion. Right. You know, oh, I, I know. thought
1: that the resolution of it was great, and I thought that was fabulous and set up a whole new, you know, set up the whole next episode and everything. That was great. You I just bring didn't... David
6: Tennant back in for years to come. I think you <laughs>
4: could just... take it a bit far, though, Ian, didn't I mean, the regeneration was well, well on its way. I mean, almost unstoppable. If you if you think about when he's in uh, the Tenth Doctors with Wilf later, you know, and the, only his hand is glowing, and it's already too late to stop
7: it. Mm. I, I mean, That's the I, thing I, I totally,
6: you I,
1: I totally bought into. I to, totally bought into how this whole thing worked. I loved the resolution. I thought it was fabulous. I just, it was just one of those things where it's like, I know there's a there's an out clause coming here. Uh, what it's going to be, I don't know, but uh, I just knew yeah. that you know, there was no way he was going to regenerate. But the it,
6: reason it's, why he couldn't do it again, Dave... So, sorry. The reason why he couldn't do it again, Dave, is because he didn't have an extra body part lying around that he could put his regeneration into that could grow another form, so he could right. keep his original form. That's why he couldn't do it again, because he only ch- lost one hand. Yeah.
4: I mean, the the, the get-out was there before our eyes, and uh, ah. it was well-crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was
6: foreshadowed like heck as yeah. well. You know, you had the whole Jenny thing as well, and... And it, they they were showing it. it shot constantly in the beginning of this episode, you know. that it was in the title, so it was like, you know, remember this, it's there. We will use it again. That's classic RTD foreshadowing, right there.
5: Um, but yeah. <coughs> I digress.
1: All right, uh, we're approaching the three-hour mark, so we must shift along. Yes,
8: uh... <laughs> we should be trying to break our record, really, with a Doctor Who show.
4: Well, I think, I think we can wrap up uh, in just about three hours, in the yeah. next 15 minutes, I think. Well,
8: I've
6: only got one left.
4: No, uh, well, well oh, that's no, on we the two. list. There's Sorry. a couple of ones I want to mention, although uh, we can keep it pretty brief. Right. Anyway. All right.
3: Uh,
1: here I come. Uh, number 30, uh, the end of time, part one. 2009. Every single person in the world, except Donna and her grandfather, turns into the Master. While the secret narrator of the episode turns out to be the President of the Time Lords, who's planning something nebulous but apparently nefarious involving the end of time. Booyah! How is it resolved? Actually, everyone on Earth stays the Master for quite a while, surprisingly enough.
4: It was his spit mm-hmm. nebulous. Yeah. <laughs> this one. This one
6: had three cliffhangers. You had the Donna remembering and then you had the Master Race and then you had the Time Lords at the end. So it was mm. a bit over like it was a bit like of emotional overkill. Like, you know, I kept I remember sitting there going, Okay, Donna's remembering, oh no and then remember, like, Oh no, everyone's the master. was like, Oh my god, Time Lords. It was just kind of like it was classic R T D, you know, over the topness, but you know, in a good way sort of. Mm. You
1: know. But An Earth know. full of Masters to me was just a little bit too far. Just exactly,
6: exactly. That's it. Is. It's over the top. Is his middle name? Um, yeah, but this
1: was a little too much. I mean, I've been behind a lot of his stuff before, where it's been a little bit oh, over the right. top. But to me, this was a pushing it just that bit too far. Having everybody look like
5: the well,
6: master, beat the master. Because it was his last one, so mm-hmm. you know. But I, I, I kind of was amused of the idea of six billion masters. That did amuse me in a silly way.
4: Um, but you know, in <laughs> in the UK, um, the the cliffhanger was almost overshadowed by the fact that you had an actor like uh, Tim- Timothy Dalton, Dalton, because get it right, uh, you know, in Doctor Who. I mean, I know we've had uh, mm-hmm. the big stars, obviously in in Utopia and so on, but I think uh, e- even the general public, you think, you know, we've got James Bond coming on Doctor Who. So, um, first, that is a Time Lord.
6: James yeah. Bond is
4: a Time Lord. <laughs> yes,
1: unfortunately, that was that was also ruined. I, I think by somebody on the staff. I yeah, They took the they took the photo page. of him standing next to Johnson, and and David Tennant, and he was actually yeah. wearing Time Lord robes, which was just really quite upsetting. I mean, there's one thing for yeah. a fan to be out scouting locations. Um But for somebody on the staff to um, to leak that photo was um, unconscionable, really. I wasn't
8: entirely clear where it was taken. I think it may have been the the rap party or something for that shoot Mm. or something like that. Yes. But for a while I was thinking it was a steal from a confidential, but no, apparently not. No.
1: But yeah, I I, yeah, I mean, I don't think really it was on anybody's mind what. If and what the cliffhanger was and and how it would be resolved, I think everything was overshadowed by the fact that at the end of you know uh, the end of part two, we knew that uh, the you know the Doctor was going to regenerate. Uh, the whole uh, you know walk four times probably overshadowed just about everything in this story.
6: I think That's the all. biggest surprise with this one was just at the time of the the reveal of the Time war. So that was gave me the biggest surprise. Um, so. I think I, I enjoy this cliffhanger for that because it was generally, like, I had no no idea that was coming. Although I did, you know, because I saw the spoiler pictures, but, you know, yeah. I kind of forgot about it, you know, when I was watching the episode, and then it was generally, you know, awesome time was. So, you know, it was exciting at the time.
2: <laughs> All right, Dart, anything? <coughs> um, you know... It's um, I don't. think It's as good as Stolen Earth. I don't think it's even as good as Turn Left. It's good. It the the thing that's weird about the End of Time, of course, is that it's the only s- serial of the um, 2005 series. You know, it's the only one that has actually part one, part two. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, it kind of runs together. And I, you know, we were talking before about Power of the Daleks, Part Four, or whatever it was. Um, I think that this thing goes on a little bit long as a cliffhanger. the The mass effing stuff that just it's it, it it made its point. If they it just kept it, maybe to that little. Uh, council estate or whatever where you can see lots of different people from different vari- different walks of life. If you had mm. seen that that would have been enough I think to have sold the idea of what was going on and it would have been you, know, you could have moved on a little quicker. Uh the Timothy Dalton stuff at the end, I mean that's that is sort of deuce bumpy. Um but again it's so it's so not I, I don't know, somehow the the cliffhanger isn't exactly resolved the right way because I, honestly I think that this story should really just be put together as one thing, mm. and then you know this is just a little bump in the middle. I don't know. It's not my favorite of things. Um, I don't know that I would have put it on this list as a cliffhanger. The only
1: thing it seems to be useful for is to to have that one little joke of uh, you turned everybody in the world into into you know copies of yourself, but you didn't notice that the guard over there is a good <laughs> five inches mm-hmm. taller than you or mm-hmm. something. Oh,
6: right. he was too busy opening himself
4: in the dress.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, moving on to the very last one on the list.
4: Can I just uh, mention a few things, Ian, first? No,
1: no. Go ahead. Go on, go, on. Uh, go on.
4: Let me just uh, mention a few things before we go to the last one so that we can then bring a halt to that. Uh, a couple of people that sent me messages on Facebook um, uh Brent Johnson, if he's managed to listen, when he does get to listen to this later, uh, listens through three hours to hear his contribution. Um, Hey Dave, sorry I can't make the podcast today, but I wanted to share my favourite cliffhanger with you. I remember buying Remembrance of the Daleks in 1993 on video and watching it for the first time. Uh, I had heard so many jokes about running upstairs and getting away from Daleks, and at the end of part one I actually shouted out, holy crap, from my bedroom and sent my dad brushing up to see what was wrong. Anyway, I can't wait to hear this podcast. Uh, Bent Johnson from North Carolina. Thanks for that. And Jeff Waddle. Um, uh, my favourite is definitely the Pandorica Opens, which we're going to next. Uh, not just because of its uh, recent memory, but all because it seemed quite impossible to resolve. And a couple of other things I want to mention. If you go on YouTube, if you look on uh, YouTube uh, for uh, Doctor Who Who with an extra O, two. He's got lots of clips there of um, what he thinks are the, the best ones. We've got the Solorians from Part f- uh, part 4 with the Third Doctor, uh, The Tomb of the Cybermen Part 2 Breaking Out, Warriors of the Deep with the Fifth Doctor, uh, Vengeance on Varus Part 1 with the Doctor and Tegan, um, uh, Pyramids of Mars with Sutek, Warriors of the Deep, The Ultimate Foe, um, The Caves of Andrasania that we've shown. Uh, survival Part 2 with the Master where Ace gets possessed. 4 to Doomsday Part 3 uh, with the 5th Doctor uh, where they're, they're going to be uh, beheading the Doctor with a sword. Uh, there's also Damn 44 100 with lots of little clips there. Uh, Attack of the Cybermen Part 1 with the, the uh, Tegan being attacked inside the TARDIS. Um Earthshot, part three, with the Cybermen breaking out the storage container with the fifth Doctor, Tegan and Adric. The Seeds of Death, part four. Uh, Zoe um, working the heating controls and then being attacked by a nice warrior, I think. Um, Genesis of the Dalek, part four, with the, the Davros questioning the Doctor. We've had that. Um, um, uh, Destiny of the Daleks, part three, with the fourth Doctor and Romana, Two. Uh, demand is trapped in a tube uh, a perspex tube with a bomb inside it um, the deadly assassin um, uh, let me have a look um, oh uh, the powerful enemy right from the early one with Ian uh, I'm sure Darth will like this one with Ian and the doctor in sort of a maze and Ian is forced off a ledge by spikes coming out of the side of the cliff and there's this monster uh, below Um uh, the Invasion Part 5 with the Cybermen in the tunnel uh, with Jamie Zoe and the 60s girl the photographer a trap with Cybermen coming from either end of the, of the thing. Um, the the blah, 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 Well, almost too many more. The the Space Museum in Glass Cases the plague as uh, Darl said. Um, I think that's probably it but... Um, uh, there's quite a lot of uh, things on YouTube to do, and for this one, I have got a clip. Would you like me to play it first, or do you want to read the...
1: Um... Sure, go ahead and play the clip, and then I'll read the bit.
4: It's quite a long one, folks. It's over two minutes. Sorry for that. Scan.
8: Scan by water fox box? Your limits and capacities have
5: been extrapolated. The Pandora is ready. Ready for what? Ready for you. You remember, this is you, and you are staying. No. No! Hey, you lot. Working together. An alliance. How is that possible? The cracks in the skin of the universe. All reality is threatened. All
3: universes will be deleted. What? And hey, you've come to me for help?
5: No! We will save the universe From you From me A scenario was devised From the memories of your companion A trap the Doctor could not resist The cracks
0: in time Are the work of the Doctor It is confirmed
2: No, 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 not me, the
3: TARDIS And I'm not in the TARDIS, am
0: I? Only the Doctor
3: can pilot
5: the TARDIS
0: Please Listen to me.
5: You will be prevented.
8: Don't believe Collapse every sun will supernova at every moment in history.
5: The whole universe will never have existed! Please listen to me. Seal the Pandorica. Oh, please listen to me. The torus is exploding right now and I'm the only one who can stop it. Listen to me.
4: And before we talk, very clever. Just to remind Ian, that's his bottom scene. <laughs>
1: yes. Um, so, yeah, our, our last one on the list. Uh, the Pandora opens. Of course, from twenty ten, the entire universe ends while the Doctor is trapped inside an inescapable prison. And meanwhile, Rory turns out to be an Auton duplicate who shoots his fiancée Amy dead. How is it resolved? Timey Wimey, and also uh, Wibbley Um I'm gonna just defer to everybody else because uh, I think the setup's probably relatively good, but the resolution's complete pants. So um, over to you, Dave. Well,
4: River Song's pants. Uh, well, yes. I, well, first of all, I think uh, th- that bit of acting by uh, Matt Smith uh, shows that he's a pretty good doctor. I mean, there are some uh, other bits. I'm- no, I think I'm pretty happy with him, really. And uh, that impassioned speech by his is really great. The music's perhaps overly dramatic, but as we've found out all the way through here, virtually every um, uh, cliffhanger has been uh, overpowered with the visuals and the music, and the narration often gets a back seat, which has been explained somewhat the difficulty in sort of uh, covering it in this uh, today's topic. I think it was a pretty, pretty good. I mean, everything blinked out. The only thing that I was um, a little bit hung up about was the fact that um, it looked as though Earth had winked out of existence. Um, And of course, uh, I think, well, they can't come back from the Earth being out of existence and all the universe. But I think what it was uh, is that, um, uh, as is explained after the cliffhanger, the next episode, that um, the universe is shrinking and all the distant galaxies are have disappeared and it's, it's got as far as our local star and without our local star there's nothing to illuminate the earth no reflected light of the moon or anything and so that is why it suddenly looks like the earth is gone, it's just not illuminated and of course at the very next episode, the final episode we see Rory uh, sitting um, on the dark earth with no light other than the campfire uh, and the story takes off from there. Uh, but that was what threw me, the fact that Earth blinked out. thought, they can't come back from this. But it was just the fact that the starlight had gone. Well, That's my take.
6: I can talk about this one because um, I missed this one when it was broadcasting live because I was on a coach coming back from Manchester when this was on. Um, but it was worth I, the
4: visit. It was worth it the was visit. It was
6: worth the visit in more ways than one. <laughs> so um, for me, I watched this one when I was when I got back from Manchester. Um, oh, I think I, I ended up watching it about midnight or something on the iPlayer. And so, yeah, I was a bit tired, um, but I stayed up and watched it. And um, I think it's, it's again, it's one of those cliffhangers that's you know how the heck are they going to get out of this one? Which was, you know, I I enjoyed it a lot, but um, I think just because as with most of series five, because I had so much going on in my own mind, I wasn't really that focused on Doctor Who this year. So um, so the, the, the what, waiting the week for you know between Pandora Opens and Big Bang, it wasn't as hard as it was you know waiting for the Stolen Earth and Journey's End or any of the other cliffhangers because. Yeah, I had a lot more on my mind, basically. Um, but what can I say? I mean, you know, Amy dead, the, world, the universe is ending. Um, the doctor trapped in, you know, in prison. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, no going back from that, really. So um, one heck of a cliffhanger. What can I say? The task exploding. <laughs> um, you know, it's basically Moffat destroying pretty much everything. Um body managers could bring it all back,
4: which is something RTD you can never do, but, you know, um, I've got to stop pitching RTD. Anyway, I'll pass it on. How <laughs> many you want to come in? You've been quiet for a while. we put him to sleep. Charlie?
3: Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. this was one of those cliffhangers. I, uh, that, yeah, it was just, it was, it was one of those... Like, I, it was... I didn't know how it was going to be resolved. Um, and, yeah, it, was, it, 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 it is it's Still, When I think about it, I'm so kind of dumbfounded by it. There's a, because with the other ones, you, you kind of, you know, with the, with the, from the new series, they're pretty much standard. You, I can figure out what's going to happen. With, and with this one, it was, it, was, it was difficult. It still is difficult for me. Probably, it's probably, uh, you know, it's complicated for the sake of being complicated, but I liked it.
4: Okay, fair enough. Dalph?
2: Yeah, I'm going to agree with end on this one. I, the way in which it was resolved was so crappy that it makes it hard to enjoy the cliffhanger itself. Um, and especially because, you know, the, I, I do remember at the time that I watched just this episode and had not seen the following one, that I quite liked it. Um, but... The whole thing of the Alliance is just so dispensed with in the next episode that you never really understand why it is that they have decided to trap the Doctor in the Pandorica. And I think without that vital piece of information, it makes it really hard to enjoy. I mean, ju- it then just become a matter of the Doctor is in a trap. Why? I mean, I don't understand why the Doctor is in peril or, or why... The companions are in trouble, then it the cliffhanger loses a lot of its poignancy and its emotional resonance and uh, you know, I, I don't think you know, for um Sam, I don't think that the fact that she had more going on in her life this time really is what made a difference. I think it's the fact that it's just not as emotional resonant as other cliffhangers that we've had. Even though, you know, Moffat gives Try by having Rory kill Amy, but you don't really understand. You don't understand why he's really a uh, a nesting conscience or part of the nesting consciousness. You don't understand how they've been able to completely capture his personality. I mean, you can understand from previous episodes why he might look like Rory, but you can't understand how he's got the entire. Print of Roy in him that doesn't make any sense and, mm-hmm. and so really none of the elements of the cliffhanger make that much sense and, and, and you also don't understand why it is that the world is collapsing in such a way, or the universe is collapsing in such a way that it is the planet Earth this tiny insignificant place that is the last thing that goes um, I mean I guess you can speculate well that's because that's where the TARDIS is and it's the TARDIS you know, is sort of at the center of the whole mystery. So maybe that's what it is. But it's, the whole thing is just so—it's just set piece after set piece after set piece, and none of it is really adequately explained. None of it has that much emotional resonance to it. So it's to me, it's it's definitely not even the best cliffhanger of the season. I mean, I would take the the um, Hungry Earth over this in terms of cliffhangers I would certainly take you know time of angels over this so I don't understand really why it's on the list
4: I mean do we do we compare the cliffhanger that has to have a good resolution or, or can the cliffhanger be a great cliffhanger even if you don't feel that the the setup um Warranted it. I mean, I thought one of the great switcheroos was that, and the doctor was trapped this way, is that by his curiosity, of course, that there was something in the Pandorica, not that Pandorica was empty and waiting for him. And I think Tim wants to come in there.
5: As
8: I put it a few months back when we reviewed the episode, Moffat did a very good job of.
9: Ah. Sorry, uh,
4: third. I was trying to oh. unmute, uh, unlock the chat for um, our new guest that came in.
8: When I got muted, as I was saying, when we reviewed the episode a few months back, as I said at the time, Moffat did an extremely good job of leading us up the garden path, and I think some of us... Um, could see the ending coming and some of us couldn't and I couldn't see the ending coming and as as a cliffhanger in itself it's very good but as one of these rare moments where I, if I agree with that, the, the power of it is entirely well not entirely lost but it it is somewhat annoying when you come back the next week to find out that this whole alliance is not remotely going to feature in the story again which is a bit of a cop-out, really, because um, the whole thing was never re- remotely explained. The, the, the thing ends with you thinking, oh, so next week's episode is going to be about this alliance trying to solve these problems in, say, time or whatever, and the doctor's locked up and they make it out by the end of it. And instead... Well, well, I, sorry, sorry, good Instead,
6: I, can't go.
8: instead, instead I, I, I did enjoy that. Season finale, the Big Bang. It's a very good episode, but it but it it pulls the, the the trick that Moffat often does. Is uh, he seems to have this rule that he um, that part two of a story has to be different to part one in a lot of ways and go off in a different direction.
1: All right. Well, the the, the, the thing don't... that irked me the most, I guess, about the the, the whole two-parter is that um the amount of people who hold this up as utter brilliance uh when it does everything that uh all the uh RTD naysayers uh said RTD was doing wrong with the series um basically having magic get out clauses and this is exactly what this did um it
6: had a reset button a
1: big massive <laughs> not, even, not even a decent reset button um but, yeah, it 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 just it failed on so many levels.
6: I just have to comment on the whole thing um, uh, of the alliance. That um, um, I didn't have a problem with that because as far as I understand, beginning with the Big Bang, you've got like husks of Daleks sitting there. That's what happened to the alliance. They disappeared from time. They got erased with the rest of the universe. Did that's mm. so I didn't have you know you couldn't really explore that because they're gone. You know, there's nothing left but the Pandora in that room. There's, you know, things are fading out of existence, as with the Alliance. The biggest problem I had with the Alliance was the fact that there were weevils in the Alliance. That makes no sense. Weevils are not intelligent enough to be in Alliance. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> <Okay>. I digress.
1: <laughs> yeah, what, what part did they play? Did they did they, they, they help, like, move the Pandora around? You know, were they the slave laborer of the whole even Alliance?
5: Do that. Yeah, Didn't they, say they do not have the brains.
4: Didn't they, well, I don't know. Didn't they? I'm not sure in the actual Torchwood series, Romana, but in the Torchwood books, didn't they allude to the fact that the the weevils left on Earth were like scavenger ones left, uh, and they were, you know, they
9: they have not
6: But from far as I know, from the weevils, they 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 kind of just drifted through the rift, and you know, they they can't even talk. I just I just don't see how. They were in
4: they a, part be huge, of, a we? beautiful
6: part of the, um, the, I don't know, they could have been, but
4: of, yeah. they were
6: in the same same costume, same, out, same, it was just, I think it was just an excuse for them to use the, the props because they're not going to use them again, but at the same point, they didn't even use them in the episode, you, like if you actually watch the episode, you can't see them, you only see them in the confidential.
4: A bit yeah. Um, well, again, I do remember saying, you know, it was a little bit of a a toy fest, wasn't it, having them all in there. For Christmas. Yeah. Sorry, somebody over oh, yeah.
1: the Pandora. Yeah. Pen, the
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, the the two things that, I mean, I still think it was a, a good cliffhanger. But I mean, the a couple of things that weren't resolved. Was the fact that we still never found out why Amy didn't know about the Daleks and the silence will fall. But of course, we've been. Promise possibly that the sands will fall will be um, taken up in the coming episode and who is controlling the targets
6: next series next series is going to be all about that and about who River Song is so this could make more sense later but that's,
1: that's the problem with it though is that it shouldn't it shouldn't be left over until the next series for a resolution on something that happened this series um where where how did they they scan Amy's mind and get the exact memories up into uh um Rory's death where did the tardis actually go to um who put it there and why did it explode um, we don't know that and to me to, to to say oh oh we're going to address that next series is is a bit of a cop out oh, after I think
5: the
8: fact I'm We'll yeah. I don't think so.
2: Is a I think that's been Moffat's
6: plan the whole time, to have this go over a couple of seasons, the story arc over a couple of seasons. It's just something we're not used to.
2: I yeah. I don't mind that Moffat's doing that, but the problem for me is I don't care. I honestly don't care if the sil- where the silence is coming from, and I don't care who moved the TARDIS there, because the resolutions that we've got so far are so inadequate that I just want to forget
4: about it and start was something else. Well, no,
9: I'm you I'm
7: done with this that
4: plot line. Yeah. Uh, look, one thing about the scanning of Amy's brain is that uh, we still have this thing where um, the young Amy, Amelia Pond, is sitting on a suit, and um, uh, we hear a child. We don't know whether... <laughs> you know, something else. Yeah, again, there. Uh, um, so it could have been the young Amy's mind that scanned but on the other hand if they did do that she wouldn't know about Rory at that point mm. you're obsessed with that particular shot yeah. from, from
2: the 11th hour you have been totally obsessed with figuring out what it is that she's seen in that shot she's waking up from a dream
4: that <laughs> but, it's a dream it appears that the, the the TARDIS <laughs> comes back to the young <laughs> Amelia and yet Which we know
8: it's a dream Dave <laughs> can't you accept that the very next thing we see is her waking up older
1: Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, but everybody said that there was not future Doctor, and it's just a continuity error. And
4: yeah, I mean. <laughs> you know what
1: happened to those naysayers now, huh? Huh? Yeah,
4: yeah, we got that <laughs> one right. Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, Wait, so we, <laughs> my, my final
8: <laughs> final,
4: I said
8: in chat, there's something I want to see on TV in like five minutes.
4: Yeah, well, uh, my what? audio's breaking up badly again. I think it's oh, we got three hours you. twenty minutes in. We want <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs>
6: I just want to throw in one last thing about, you know, all the naysayers about the end of the series. Mm. I mean, wait until you see what happens in the next series, because you could be eating your words right now. He could turn it around and make you appreciate this ending now. Just trust in the grandmoth. You never know what's going to
1: happen. That's one of the things that I have to agree with, with Darth I don't care anymore. I was let down by the end of this one, and I'm give a rat's arse what happens next
5: or who oh, the silence well, is or... I know a
6: whole lot of people who do but sadly oh, yeah.
5: I don't, you know, but it's, it's not going
6: to make everyone happy same as the way that you know the, the much torture series didn't make me happy but made lots of people happy you know people will like different things mm. and you know you can you know we can agree
1: to disagree, I think, with this Oh, yeah, yeah, but I'd just say I, I totally agree with
4: Arthur. don't, don't really enough. care.
6: Uh, we also not <laughs> uh, agree to disagree with torture. Yeah, the time. Um,
4: to remind people the list that we're using, the io9, that list wasn't the best, because we've just done Pandorica Opens last. It wasn't meaning that that list had it as the greatest of the cliffhangers. It just yep. happens to be the most recent one. So, um... It's not a question we've come to the climax in terms of the best cliffhanger. That was just the, the most recent one in that list. Right.
1: All right. At um, somewhere over three hours, I think we are going to bring this show to a swift close. We were intending on, to also on, on bringing up other cliffhangers. Oh,
5: uh,
4: uh Ian, I think I mean have yes? been in labour all these three hours. I <laughs> 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 what labour's like now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um but I think we will bring this to a uh, quick close as uh, many people probably want to go for a healthy tea.
5: All righty oh, then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we All right. Here the morning, i take a picture.
1: All right, there's nothing left for for us than for me to say thank you to everybody in the room, including Charlie P seventy nine, our skeptical, Rowance, J seven, Merlin, Randall Store, guest twenty four Tim Jury, Romana too, and everybody else that's been in and out, including Logan. Uh, yes, so, uh, nothing more now than uh, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC.
4: And with my last pirate talk, and heart is, it's a goodbye from him.
5: Argh.